show may contain naughty language and explicit content. You have been warned. Welcome to Facehammer, an Age of Sigmar podcast. Bringing you product reviews, news from the UK tournament scene, as well as some pro hobby tips. So stay tuned and get ready for some hammer to your face. Welcome to Facehammer Worldwide episode 2. This is another one of our recordings from the interviews we did in September as part of the Facehammer Worldwide event. Um, In this show we are joined by Oscar Lars to talk about all things colour theory and painting and well as being a commission painter and later on by Tyler Mengel himself uh, talking about again painting and black library and all things lore. So if you're into your hobby and you want some really good painting tips and uh, a little bit about Black Library, then this is definitely a show for you. Uh, these interviews have already been up on YouTube, but uh, we thought we'd do it as a podcast as well. So, um, without further ado, let's get into it. Facehammer is sponsored by Element Games. So, for great customer service, all the latest Age of Sigmar releases at 20% off, and all your hobby needs, go to www.elementgames.co.uk. To support us directly, click through the banner on our website and let them know that you came from us. Hi guys, uh, welcome to uh, another Facehammer Worldwide interview and we're joined by the excellent Oscar Lars um, and yeah, it's Friday night, we've all been drinking a little bit <laughs> and uh, yeah. we're here to talk about Age of Sigmar hobby and, and all the good stuff that that comes yeah. along with it. So, um, firstly, thank you very much for coming on Oscar and spending your time and coming on the show. It's really appreciated. Yeah, massively appreciated. Oh, thank mate. you so thank much you. for having me. Um, um, I'm really excited to be on. Oh, uh, we, we're really, uh, we're really pleased you could make it. We we weren't sure when we put the feelers out for the show how many people would would get involved, and um, you know, for us, it's been we normally run the Face Summer GT this weekend, and uh, yeah. it's been really good that we've had a really good engagement from the community. And uh, just want to say thanks to people watching. Uh, we'll try and put these videos up on YouTube as well. So uh, if you haven't already, Oscar's got an amazing channel, so you should definitely check that out. And he's probably got a much bigger audience than us. So come check us out as well if you're on that but anyway (laughs) (laughs) poaching those people no um so um why don't you why don't we start off Oscar? why don't you just give us a little bit about um who you are and what you do in the hobby and and all that sort of stuff and give us a bit of a background other than being awesome oh well (laughs) that's a good introduction i guess uh yeah i'm a i'm a full-time commission painter um i've been painting warhammer for over two decades now, uh, started very, very young and just never quit. Um, I, uh, studied art. So I have a bachelor's in fine art, specifically in painting. Uh, so I, I have a little bit more of a background. I like to paint paintings, but in general, I'm a, I'm also an age of Sigmar player. Um, I'm a huge fan of fantasy. Uh, so when the age of Sigmar, uh, kind of dropped and they weren't doing blocks, which I were never really a, a fan of. Uh, I got very excited. Now I get to play with the cool models and a good game system. Um, oh, and of late, I've also gotten into Necromunda. Me too. Cool. <laughs> yeah, I was going to say, Russ loves Necromunda. Yeah, I really, really like that. 
Um, that's really it's really interesting. Um, so me and like Terry's been commission painting for a while. Byron used to commission paint back in the day, and me and Les have embarked on that journey. Um, how have you have you been doing that a long time? Has that been a, a difficult transition? And did you do that full time? I assume. Yeah, so I, I started commission painting on the side in 2008. So it's been what 12 years now, yeah, and wow. and even so before then. But I but I wouldn't consider that because that was just to my friends, you know. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. But, but more to 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 people outside of my friend zone. I I started painting for in 2008, and uh, once I moved over to the United States, I uh, got approached by uh, by the guys over at Frontline Gaming. I, I met them in person at a tournament. They asked if I wanted to do some commission work, and I uh, so I started doing some commission work for Frontline Gaming, and then. Uh, once I moved over to the other side of the coast, to the East Coast, I um, finished up my degree and I started my own painting studio, Oscar Wise Painting Studio. Yeah, amazing. And how do you how do you find um, painting for a living? I'm obviously you're obviously interested in art. You've obviously done that as a as your kind of uh, higher education. Did it is the miniature painting more your thing? Because a good friend of mine, he he's a two D painter, is how I would describe. Yeah, and he he tried to get into the gaming group that I have with my mates and he didn't have any knowledge of wargaming at all. And he said that he just couldn't paint three dimensional models. He found it completely alien um, and kind of stressful. And uh, did you, is that when you did your, your art, were you kind of doing a lot of 2d stuff or were you working in acrylics? Were you doing oils? I mean, what was the, how did you end up thinking, yeah, this is what I want to do for a career? Yeah, so um, I, I think it was a little bit of backwards to your friend there for me. I, I started uh, painting Warhammer when I was about six, seven years old. Um, so I started painting 3D, and then I also at the same time started learning how to you know paint two-dimensional art to draw and all that stuff. And, and my high school that I went to, which was back in Sweden where I'm from, um, was tailored to an aesthetic kind of background so you did a lot of music and a lot of painting and a lot of art and uh, woodworking carpentry and things like that um so i think for me it was something where I, I i didn't expect miniature commission painting to be the thing that i would do i always kind of had a, an idea to do two-dimensional art for a living uh but i think once i got into that world and started you know studying at a higher level you you start engaging with people in that community and you start to see, you know, the community from the inside rather from the outside, yeah. which you oftentimes do when you're not in it or, or when you're just doing your basic studying. <clears throat> and I didn't like it. I, it wasn't right. something that I felt comfortable with. Um, the, the way that the organizations and the companies and the, you know, universities are, are working. Uh, is it really what I want to be doing? So I had to kind of rethink once I graduated what it was that I wanted to do. Uh, mm. And I've been painting for you know over 20 years by the time that rolled around. And I thought, no, I haven't grown tired yet. So, you know, <laughs> why not just continue doing it? <laughs> I think if it's in your blood, it's in your blood, right? I mean, I don't know if that's... Yeah, I, can, I, I mean, so I, think we, I think everyone watching this, listening to this and on this can say that we're basically ad addicts, right? I mean, like, we wouldn't be here at the yes. doing it if we weren't, like, hopelessly addicted to this wonderful thing, um, which is, you know, is great. I mean, it's, um, 
it's interesting. Did you find did you find when you started commission painting and and being like trying to be self motivated and things like that? Was there did you find that difficult? Because I know it's for me because I'm going from working in an office and doing project management, going from that to doing um, self motivated like creative, but on a not not necessarily what you want to do. But you're doing, and you're doing it when you're not necessarily in the mood. How difficult, and and what do you do to motivate yourself when you do you know when you do you know, like I need to paint, but I, I today I just really don't want to. Yeah. yeah, I I think that's you know when when your hobby becomes your work, I think it it transforms into what any job really is, and that is it's a sense of responsibility that you take on as a as a business owner as an employee or whatever kind of title that you hold. Um, and that is directed towards your clients or your coworkers or your team or however you work. Um, when I come into the studios on days when I don't feel in the zone, I try to, you know, think, you know, if I'm not in the mood or I don't feel like when I'm painting that it's going in the direction that I feel like it needs to go. I, I don't feel maybe motivated to do painting. And I, and I, I, I feel like it's slipping away, you know, the, the, the brush handling is not on point and I don't feel like it's coming out the way that I want it to. I try to reshape maybe what it is that I'm doing. Maybe that's the good the day where I'm starting to knock out these hundred bases that I need to do. And essentially, I'm just dry brushing all day. Um, or I am doing some thing or I take on a... Maybe it's that I don't feel passionate this particular day to do a... A, 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 the, the project that I'm working on. Sometimes I just take my personal day that day and I work on my projects and I substitute that day on another weekend or something like that and, and go in on a Saturday and continue to work on my client's project. So there's a couple of strategies that I guess mm. I, I, I try to do. Uh, but I think overall there are days when you go in and you have no choice you just have one thing that you got to do and you got to just do it and that's the well, that's, that's work, the discipline right? that you have to have <laughs> yeah. that's, if it was well, easy everyone would be doing it right no that's yeah. right that's i think right. it's very interesting um yeah i think it's very interesting when you said about like when you're not in the zone your brush control just you're like you know when because i get like that i'm very sort of like the way i highlight stuff if if i'm not feeling it if i'm not motivated to do that then like my highlights become super sloppy um i find that i spend twice as long doing something that i would normally do and like yourself it's just a case of like right i'm not in the zone i can't find highlight these 27 gun barrels so i'm just gonna stop doing that and just black line like you know just blocking colors um or I, like just take a day and like that's when i painted that cath bar i like me and russ were talking and i was just like i just can't do it today i just cannot get motivated to do any more of this project that i'm working on and he used to like just paint the cath bar and then i took that day and then you know i'll just make up the time like elsewhere and um, you know and yeah luckily i'm quite like me and russ approach the painting stuff a little bit differently like you know i'll i'll start early in the morning and then finish in the evening whereas russ will start later and work into the, the night because like i'm a morning person like is in like the way i approach it i'm up and about early and whereas russ is like more of a night owl and and it's it's i think that's the the really good thing about being a self-employed sort of like commission painter is that you can be have that flexibility as long as you get the job done like you, you were saying for your you know for your clients and stuff that's so, right. So no, I, it's also it's also nice to be able to take that personal day for other things too. You know, there's yeah. like yeah. I, 
I was I was saying earlier, you know, sometimes you you have something come up or you know something's gone wrong with a house or you know you th- yeah. there's a three time weekend where you have an opportunity, not in 2020 maybe, but you know to go <laughs> and, and, and grab you know go to the beach or whatever. And and, and as a self employed, yeah. as long as you make up the time, you keep your schedule and you keep that promise to your clients. One you know, one you- of the things um, me, me and Les talk a lot every day, and we kind of get sick of each other, I guess, at some point. But it hasn't happened yet. More I so, I get sick of you. Yeah, but- mostly. But that's like everyone, right? Um, but anyway, uh, we talk about um, one of our favorite authors is Brandon Sanderson, and he does like I know Les has watched his seminars on how to write and do creative um, writing, yeah. and he tends to break the day into four hour chunks of creativity, and he knows the first hour is going to be getting in the zone and maybe that. Then you have two hours of super productivity where you do not want to be interrupted and then you've got like the wind down at the end and then he almost has a four hour chunk steps away does something else comes back and has another four hour chunk do you have like i mean you've mentioned going to a studio so i guess you've got a separate space for work and a separate space for personal does and and maybe it's a bit of a tangent but really what i want to ask you is how do you break your day up do you go like i could do eight hours in the studio and if you paint your personal stuff, you go to a different place to paint and you've got a completely separate hobby environments. Or do you do you just, it's personal and commission is in the same place, but it's just painting? Yeah, my, my, my studio uh, is, is the place where I work both my personal project and my, uh, my business stuff. I mean, it, it, it's all a bit of a mishmash at this point because as, as you guys know, I, we do these uh, uh, tutorial videos, which is... We, we don't get paid for that, so so no. it's not really work. It's just something mm-hmm. that we, both Kramer and I, are, are, are trying to give back to the community um, and, and, and allow for people to essentially come in and use free-to-use sources. And I know a lot of other painters are, are, are kind of on that track, too, where it's it's giving back. And, and I think now in 2020, it's more so than ever. But, no, I, I don't separate necessarily my, my, my personal uh, painting space and my professional painting space. And do do you find your personal projects suffer because you work as a professional painter that you think well actually this is just more money I could be earning and 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 your stuff kind of I mean you produce some incredible stuff I mean I had the had the pleasure of playing you at, at Warhammer World and uh, seeing your Stormcast close up so uh, I mean obviously you've produced some amazing stuff and I think some of your entries in the competition this weekend are going to be pretty mind-blowing. I mean, I love that Nurgle army. I mean, it's Nurgle, so I love it anyway, but it's amazing. Um, <laughs> so um, do you do you find that, that your personal projects kind of suffer or you do less than what you want to do? Or do you feel that... Because I find like some of the stuff that I get as a commission, and I've only just started, so I can't talk too in-depth about it, is stuff I would never, ever right. paint, Right but it kind of scratches an itch that I would do in my personal hobby. So then I can really focus my personal on what I really want to do. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I mean, to some extent, I think when your hobby becomes your work, it, it instantaneously suffers from it. Um, your, your, your personal work definitely takes a hit because not only are you doing, you know, 40 hour a week, uh, weeks of painting. And, you know, if you are oftentimes that becomes 60, you know, um, because you just need to get things done and, and <laughs> you don't get paid until the project's done. You know what I mean? So it's, yeah. there's yeah. a little bit yeah. of pressure to, to not just keep the schedule and make sure that everybody gets in on time, but, but it also is to, to, to make sure that you get the money so you can pay your rent and put food on the table and all that stuff. But, uh, you know, it's always one of those things that when you're, when you're 
you know, personal hobby before you really kind of get in. I remember how it was for me before when I just got a couple of commissions here and there. It was always like, I want more, I want more, I want more. But that now that, you know, I'm yeah, I, up, want less, so. I want less, I want less, I want less. But that's kind of what it is because now, now, I, now I want my time for, for my miniatures that I want to paint in my Necromunda board and put all that in. But, you know, to some extent, you know, after you put in eight hours into your client's commission and then, you know, that, that little extra hour, I, 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 what I try to do essentially is I, I, I go into work I start off my morning. I go in half an hour earlier and then leave a half an hour later on my days. And those are essentially my block of personal time that I decided to add very recently. Where I go in and I start off the day by just getting into something that that feels right for me to paint at that moment. And uh, at this time, I've been painting Cal Jericho, uh, which is uh, an audiobook that I finished quite recently. And I was just, oh, man, I, I fell in love with his character. He's, he's so amazing. Uh, but yeah, so I decided to paint him. So that's what I've been doing. You know, the first two, 20 minutes I get in, I start, I just pick a detail. I pick a little pouch or something and I paint that. And then at the end of the day, I do the same thing. I, I paint a little bit on, on Cal Jericho or whatever project I have. And that kind of means that I have this this middle span. Now, I'm still doing what I love, and and this Sisters of Battle Army has been a really fun fun project. Um, so so I, I work on clients' products. At the end of the day, I get that little treat that I can always remember from earlier this morning that I get to work on a little bit more before yeah. I come home and you know start start thinking about dinner and whatever projects that and and entertainment we're gonna do for that. Day. So that's kind of how I try to structure mine. That's brilliant. That's a really, really good idea because I, I know personally, and, and like, I'm not sure. I'm sure Russ and Terry uh, will both sort of like say the same thing. Is that my personal hobby? The, since becoming a commission painter in what July, like my, the only thing I've painted for myself was that Cathlar, and I gave myself like six hours the other day to do it. Um, but just to having those little bits to chip away on, where you've got right here's the unit that I'm going to chip away on, and just go. I just have 30 minutes before I start. And then you're, you, you almost infused then because you're working on something for yourself because you love it. And then you go, right, well, I'm, I'm infused. I'm all fired up for the day. Let's yeah. work on the, the customer stuff, the, the clients. You yeah. work through that and then give reward yourself in the evening. So that's, that's really like, that's something I would never have thought of. It's really, really interesting. It's a, something I may take up and like completely never rip off and do decent enough either, are you? Because because no. the sessions are so small, you'll always be like you'll, you'll always be keen for it, and you can never get sick. Because if you are literally painting like his shoe or whatever, then you, you're always left wanting more, which is a really positive thing to be able to do to yourself. Yeah, yeah it's a really oh, interesting. Really good take. <clears throat> so, really good idea. Do you um do you what's your kind of like um your get in the zone type thing? Do you did you have like a playlist like a Spotify playlist that's like gets you hyped or because i know like les's thing is getting to the gym you know going to the gym having a workout coming back being like feeling like you started the day right you know whereas i'm more like sleep yeah. till 11 have a bacon sandwich as you can yeah. tell and then, um, <laughs> and then like start at midday and then just like yeah just stay up far too late watching american sports and then yeah. like, the next day yeah. Repeat, so. yeah you're dead you're definitely not in the gym at half five in the morning like me, We're are just you? just not in the gym. Like, it just doesn't happen. No, yeah. like, uh, no. But that's, do you have something like that that's like your, um, your kind of escapism to get you in the zone or anything? Or do you just, do you just paint and that's, that's it? You know, I, I, I think that the painting and the, the Warhammer hobbying in itself is, is, is 
my zone that I yeah. just instantly sink into it. But I, you know, if, if I'm having a rough day, you know, I, I, I usually kind of, kind of start a, a mashup of the, of the latest fucked up thing Trump has done with a mashup of thrash metal. You know what I mean? To really like beat the shit out of me. To get is it, are you talking show. about the, the Trump metal, the metal Trump channel on YouTube? Because it's amazing. <laughs> I don't right? even know what that is, but I don't right. know if I want to find out. But basically it's a guy who's taken Donald Trump in speeches and cut all his words together to the lyrics to heavy metal songs. You've got to oh check it out, man. God. It's amazing. I not want to hear that. Metal Trump. It's oh, amazing. <laughs> like, literally, they just did Tornado of Souls by Megadeth. It's amazing. Uh, <laughs> but it's, it's Metal Trump. It's a complete tangent. You, you definitely need to check it out. It's amazing. Um, <laughs> so what I wanted to ask you a little bit about the, the art background. Now, um, I, I'm not yep. going to, I'm not going to lie to you. I've, I was artistic when I was young. And uh, my grandfather was very artistic. He taught us how to paint and stuff like that. And I did a lot of hobby stuff. But when I was at college and school, I didn't take art anywhere, really. Um, I did a bit of graphic design. I did an internship at um, a graphic design company. Um, How important do you think it is? Because there's a lot of people who paint models and they don't really, they never, ever really look at art theory or color theory or light and shadow and there's some really good resources out there like i remember we went to adepticon two years ago and there was a chap there at the uh, i can't remember his name i apologize but he had the the oh. downed atst in the swamp it was like the atst in a swamp and we were sat in the airport yeah. and we had to delay and he, he plonked it on the table this is a long story sorry i'm gonna get on tangent yeah and he basically went he, we talked to him we saw it and obviously because we're hobbyists we're like oh we're nerds too let's talk yeah, that's- um and, yeah. Uh, he recommended a book called color and light which i i use and i think it's really good um how- bad boy yeah terry's, terry's got, got it yeah it's a hand there yeah it's Ger- gurney right is that what yeah. you got yeah. you guys and that one in? yeah i've got that yeah. too yeah, yeah. Gurney, imagine yeah i own both of those too yeah sure. it was seth awesome. it was Martin, thank you very much. It was Seth Armston, so thank you very much for putting that in the chat. It was definitely Seth, so appreciate that. Yeah, Martin. cheers, Martin. Um, yeah, so oh uh, yeah, Seth, right, right, right. Yeah, yeah, top guy, top guy. So we didn't really know him, but we just started chatting at the airport, and you know that that says you how much of a top guy he is, you know. Um, so do you, how important it is do you think for because I I mean I know a lot of people ask me for advice and stuff, and I, I'm going to hold my hand. I'm no expert, right? I just paint a lot of models, um, and there are some people out there that just know they have a sort of a natural affinity for color, like color theory shadow how important is it do you think for somebody who wants to improve their painting to spend a little bit of time just looking at theory and this kind of background to give them the tools to make their miniatures really pop um i mean i personally for me the the more most fun thing about painting warhammer is color uh that's just what i like to focus on in my work is different colors, different lights, what the different colors do to each other and all of that good things in between. Um, I think the most important thing for every individual person who paints in this hobby is to do it for themselves and enjoy what they're doing and have fun. If you're not having fun, you're doing it wrong. Um, (laughs) That's what she said. If you want to improve... If you want to improve, I think it's really, really important that you learn not just color, but mixing color. Because it opens up a whole new uh, range of, of, of thinking about applying color to the miniature. Because if you're just using straight out the tube, then you're limited to what 
people are supplying you. But if you start mixing color, you're using what people are supplying you to elevate the art that you're executing, I guess, lack of a better word. Yeah. Um, I, I, you, you know, you can, but, but, but in, in sense of how to go about finding that information, I think is, it is more of an, of an interesting question for me. I, I think at this point, there's so many people who are putting out YouTube videos on essentially here is how you can use color theory in your hobby painting rather than going to, you know, and, and, and try to comprehend Joseph Albers, a theory of color, who is the inventor of the modern way that we think about color. That's a little bit hefty maybe to, to like dive into something that large when you're, when you're new to it. Um, so I think if you're trying to step into color, I think I would look into good painters that put up YouTube videos and watch YouTube tutorials. How are they talking about color? What are they doing with color? And how are they, and what are they describing that that's the reason for why they're doing these, these choices, essentially? Uh, that, that would be my recommendation for anybody who wants to step up. Yeah, I think that's, that's a good point. And I think, um, Martin's asked a question about, what do you think is important to think about as you grow as a painter? And I think it's kind of on that that level, like going to a con or a tourney, see other people's stuff, what do you take away and, and, and do you win an award or not? And I think you hit the nail on the head. It's something I've always said, even though some of my closest friends told me, not people on this call, but other people have told me I'm full of, full of, uh, <laughs> full of uh, you know, an animal product that shall not be described. Um, but basically saying that um, it's you paint for yourself, right? It's a bit, yeah. And I'd kid it a lot. I've been, I've been looking at a lot of like fitness stuff, and basically, it's like you, you when you go to a gym, it's a kind of very personal experience, and you're kind of competing with yourself. And I think that you're, yeah, it's the same sort of thing where you're basically saying, look, I'm, I'm on a journey, and I start out, and and the way that I approach my painting is kind of accidental, and it wasn't, it wasn't planned. It wasn't like I'm going to be painting models when I'm yeah. 38 for a living. It was um, <laughs> when I was a kid. I was like, I was like, right, I'm going to base coat, and I just base coat everything. It was comfortable, and I got really good at base coat, and I base coated everything. Then I learned how to use inks, and then I use inks on everything, and then I learned dry brushing. I dry brushed everything. Did my what was it? Just dry brushed, and then. I kind of got that foundation of fundamental techniques down at a young age, which was when I got, there was a tipping point. Um, when I got back into the hobby, one of the things that I was always too scared to do when I was younger, I remember I, I had like a goblin unit and, and the, the GW manager at the time when they just opened, um, showed me how to base coat, put the green ink on and reapply the goblin green and then not go in the recesses. And then the next stage was the sunburst yellow goblin green highlight. And I, you know, this was, a long time ago, I'm not going to tell how old I am, but uh, <laughs> but basically, I was like, okay, so highlighting—that's too scary for me at that age, and I just didn't do it, and uh, I didn't didn't push myself. And then when I got back into the hobby, like I highlighted, um, I did a Tomb King army, and I I literally, it was like I remember the first night that I got my, it was it was really retarded. I was painting like tomb swarms, like the metal bugs on a thing and i think i started painting at 10 in the night and i went till six in the morning because i got in the zone and i was just like paint you know it's just like i haven't paid for years and i'm in i'm loving it and i mixed white into everything to highlight it and then you, know, you start then you start playing around with like what if you use gray what if you use a cream what if you use do that and then then what i found was there was this whole group of people that have been painting and they all had their own way of doing things and they all had their own techniques or their own and this is before there was a lot of medium now 
there's so many products like there's yep. and like you say like you're restricted to what people supply you back in the day when i was painting like you literally didn't have these lovely mid earthy tones and all these kind of neutral yeah. desaturated colors you just had red blue yellow like yeah. it was like it's red or it's yellow and i found that yeah. um what's really good none of it covered no, none of it covered. None of it, yeah, yellow, yellow was what you in, couldn't paint right? it, could you? So everyone painted yeah, yellow with like, bone and yellow ink. So, it's, well, so. No, I, it was. Uh, I think Keith Robertson showed me when he like was in Gloucester store before he moved somewhere else, like the heavy metal guy. And he was just like, no, 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 you paint it all bronzed flesh. So you like bronze flesh was the color, and he goes, you water down bronze flesh and you paint it all bronze flesh, and then summer's yellow goes straight over it. And I'm like, oh, and it's just like little tricks that you learn in the trade, don't you? Like back in the day. Whereas like Russ was saying then, it's just like there was just, it was literally blood red, red gore, yellow, yeah. Well, yeah, goblin green, dark and green. And that was it. Like, Go almost, fast or, red back almost, in the day. You know, the creature. Yeah, was, was, <laughs> was green ink. The, you know? uh, yeah, yeah. Um, it's worm purple, all those lovely colours. But um, yeah. From my understanding, like, because I know you said about like you see mix and you go outside of this band that you almost you're almost restricted by the bands you have. But now with modern products, there are so many. Like you look at the new GW paint system, and you literally there literally are all the mixed colours. And I know you can take it to the next level mm. um, by by mixing these things um, together. I think it's really interesting that you're like our oh, mix because you find the you find the hues and tones that aren't available to everyone else. So it's a bit like the hack that someone looks at your miniature yeah. and goes, that looks so different and good because nobody else yeah. is recreating that because you've created that color palette, right? So there's no way someone can't just go, well, it's, you know, these four colors in a row with a wash. Anyone can, and it's just how technically well you apply that. Whereas once you start pushing color in different directions, you're saying, actually, I found this tonal color that is only available by mixing these three paints in this certain way. And that's, that's really interesting to me, um, in terms of, um, being unique, I guess. Um, so in that sense, I'm sort of rambling a bit, but do you think for competition painting or, or trying to enter into competitions, it's really important to be unique? by using colour in that way or do you think it's more about technical execution or do you think it's a combination of both well to to to, to clarify a little bit I, I think that the um, when it comes to colour and, and mixing colour it's not so much as finding one colour that looks different or unique it's more about finding colour relationships mm. that does something it yeah. creates uh you know th 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 there's this you know obvious ones for example that i think most of us have seen those kind of like illusion vibrancy color combinations on the online you know that where you where you have like a very specific type of orange and a very specific type of teal and all of a sudden the colors on the wall start going like this you know it just it just pumps yeah. it vibrates literally that's what your eyes are perceiving and, I, you know, that, that's not necessarily the only way to create colors where something's happened. There's a sense of it factor. And sometimes, you know, there, there, it's, it's really hard to hit that combination. And, and, uh, and, and, and I think that most of us who have painted have, have at some point had that moment like, wow, these two colors look so good. Like this color scheme is just so good, you know? Yeah. 
and f- like fight and that's you know so so when you're mixing color it, it, it's it's like you, you find this red for example that you really really like and then you're trying to find a cream or whatever color that you're into to, to sort of pair it with but that cream comes in thousands of different combinations, right? Because it can be a darker cream, it can be a lighter cream, mm-hmm. it can be a more cream that goes towards green, it can mm-hmm. be a cream that goes towards yellow, etc. Right? So that that finding that sort of combination can really elevate your art, um, especially in competitions. Um, but but I think that when when you get to that, I mean that that is a very sort of nitpicky aspect of the hobby, and and it, you can't necessarily rely on that by itself. You you need to have all of these other techniques and applications and, and and conceptual ideas that needs to correlate with that specific color combination. So, you know, I, I definitely think that having uh, a good sense of color helps you immensely when it comes to uh, uh, doing well in painting competition, whether it's Golden Demons. And I, 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 I'm sure uh, Terry can, can uh, agree with me on that, you know, since he has a, such a fantastic concept of colors i mean i've seen terry's work in, in in person and i mean it's just it's just phenomenal that that uh magenta that you've been using with the green for the nurgle i mean to me that's one of those examples of finding two colors that just looks really well together and the they shouldn't like go together as well they, you're putting they, they green next to bright pink and it works yeah yeah, yeah. i mean you 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 know and and it it's because I, I believe, and you know, all of this artistic crap is very subjective, right? But I believe that it's that it's because of what type of magenta and what type of green. Yeah. That there's, you know, if you go towards a different green, it can look awful. So yeah. it's that's why you're sort of mixing. Well, yeah, it's a very um, desaturated green next to a very saturated pink purple, so it works. I mm-hmm. think if you used a really saturated green like you know classic sort of snot green looking bright green next to that it would look pretty garish i would but imagine then, but then again then you have louise sudden who makes that work you know yeah, well she yeah. paints everything with like uv color so yeah it works <laughs> that's, that's crazy amazing. So, it is amazing so it's like it, it, it's that it's i think it's uh, a little bit of, of like making things you, you tweak things until it works i think yeah, yeah well, i agree with that it's it's really interesting to hear you guys talk about all this stuff because like um and like, i've been quite open about it is uh, like, i'm red green colorblind and I, I always really struggle with how like i've painted stuff with, because of that so even with my stormcast eternal um like my celestial vindicators like the the turquoise is more blue and the red that is is more brown and magenta because then i can tell that they're different Whereas if you were to paint, like, you know, if it was the same tonality, I'd just get lost. And it, like, and a couple of times, I think even certain other colors, like Terry's posted a picture in our chat, and he's had, like, too much, I think it was, like, the orange of his uh, wet palette. The, I, just, like, I just can't. Yeah, it's the wet palette yeah. um, lid. It's I was just orange. like, I, I, just, I just can't see anything now. Like, like, all I can see is that that orange just completely destroys everything that like, you're trying to show me in that picture. Can you, like, move the model and put it somewhere else? Um, uh, just so that I can see it. Um, but like, it's really interesting because that's something that I've always struggled with. Um, so like, obviously it's like, I read the words and I understand the color theory from talking to the guys, but like you said, like a lot of it's subjective and I do a lot of it by feel, if that makes sense. Yeah. Like what you were saying with like, sometimes you tweak things to get it right, which is why 
every single one of my armies I've ever painted is cold because like I I just keep it in that palette because then I'm not really I can see what the color is (laughs) if that makes sense instead of it being like yeah yeah, um, but yeah, it's, just, it's interesting to hear because it's one of those things you have to find uh, a strategy that works for you. Uh, and, and in your case, it's very fascinating to hear that you kind of, you know, tweak it to, to make it work for you. That's very impressive. Yeah. Yeah. It's like, it's just so that I can see, like, I mean, I can remember when we talked about my celestial vindicators and like me and I think it was me, but I think all four of us were on the call. We used to spend a lot of time talking and it was just, I, I mixed my Celestial Vindicator turquoises a mixed color, which has got a lot of French blue from Valio in it uh, and sky sky blue as a mix because I couldn't, like, as soon as you use Pterodon, like, um, I can't think of Sotec green and, and then sort of like the GW reds, it just, it, it just messes my head up, which is why I'd gone more into that blue spectrum with the turquoise and then more into sort of like Sanguine Base P3, which is more of like that ruddy burgundy red. Instead of it being like your classic horn blood letter, you know, it just it, it just really like just I, I just find it a real struggle. Then, like I know I can paint red and green together because I understand from reading heavy metal guides and and different people that like to highlight red. You go, you corn, you shade down, you then highlight up, and then you place that next to a green light with my dark angels, and it looks it looks right because that's what it is. But it's not something I naturally gravitate towards because. It just like it's such a struggle for me to differentiate between the two. Yeah, everyone has their own different methods and journeys of picking colors, don't they? Like Oscar, how yeah. did so your your stormcast, for example? How did you pick those colors? Did that happen like gradually? Did you have an idea? Did you have a source of inspiration? What like how did things kind of settle on the scheme that you ended up with? Both the models, the metals, the base, the lot. Uh, yeah, the, the, the Stormcast was a, a, a little bit of an experimental project for me because I, I wanted to not only learn how to paint non-metallic metal uh, to a certain extent, but also to, to do something that I hadn't necessarily seen before, which is almost a full uh, army of just non-metallic metal because there isn't really much more than a metal and a couple of flaps of cloth yeah. on these guys, right? Especially the old cast models. Um, but, but the way that I went about it was to, 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 you know, look at other painters that had painted non-metallic metal and dissect what kind of colors they're using, um, and take what I liked from it and replace it with things from necessarily other painters, uh, and, and incorporate those into a, a recipe that not only would be easier to, to, to use, um, but also had more of a, of a, of a tonal feel to me. I, I, I like things when you, uh, punch things from a desaturated ground to a more saturated finish. Uh, I okay. think that adds contrast to a model, uh, yeah. which is, uh, because contrast is essentially what makes models look good. Um, as, yeah, as that, that's what I love about your Stormcast is that the way you push that contrast, I really like the, you know, that's one of the things that initially drew me to it. Cause like you almost like from black right up to like, I, I can't like the pure sort of like almost like white highlight. And it just really like that sort of like super graphic black to the highest point contrast really appeals to me, like on a personal level. And, um, yeah. you know, so it's, it's, I mean, this, was that intentional? Like, you know, you obviously you just said like, you know, you liked it. Did you want to like push the contrast as much as you could? Cause that's what makes it pop almost. 
Yeah, I mean, absolutely. I think, you know, when when you're painting something metallic and uh, there's obviously tons of different types of metal approaches to non-metallic metal, right? I mean, you have some painters Mm -hmm. that like to paint more of a muted, you know, beat up, uh, weathered type metal. And then you have other people who like that sort of chrome style. Um, I think that when you're trying to do an army in non-metallic metal, you, you, you have to consider that you are most of the time, you and the viewers and your opponents are mostly going to be at arm's length away from the army, if not more. Which means that you have to adapt the way that you paint to uh, work with that concept in mind. Um, so for the non-metallic metal, I think if I, if I would have gone for a more muted metal, it, it wouldn't have looked look as striking from a distance. Um, so when I, when I, it was a conscious decision to go from very dark to very light. So I went for a more of a chrome ish kind of look. But at the same time, I also had to dumb the technique down to make sure that it was simplified enough to where I didn't lose the, the core, uh, principal properties that you need to be able to convey the illusion of metal, uh, as well as being easy enough to paint so that I could play with it within you know, six months, because that's the amount of time that I yeah. took to paint it, right? Yeah. Uh, because otherwise, if I, if I just sit in wet blend and glaze and wet blend and glaze and just kind of go over and over and over again and spend 50 hours on a leg, then, you know, I, I won't be playing this army until 2030. So yeah. it, it, it was a lot of combinations that made me make the decisions that went for that army. And I remember uh, Byron was asking me a couple of questions at Warhammer World when I was there with the army. Uh, it was so, some of the decisions that I had made, and I remember one of my my answers was, I had to cut corners. You know, <laughs> I had to cut some corners, otherwise it would just never be done if I started getting nitpicky about all of these things. Um, so that, that's yeah. We are, we always used to say like finished is better than not finished. You know, painting's better than not painted. Be Sometimes you've got to can't be perfect if it's not done, right? Yeah, exactly. <clears throat> Yeah. So we, it's really interesting um, because I, I'm kind of more of an army painter, and I know that um, I, I kind of, I mean, like we've been really fortunate, and where the podcast was birthed really was from Skype chats and sharing hobby advice between the four of us, and we've all influenced each other's painting in one way, shape, or form. Um, and one of the things that was really influential for me was um, I had an ex heavy metal painter where I worked at a different miniatures company from GW, and and he was there. And uh, he showed me how to do like uh, multiple glaze blending, building up the opacity on on actually more machine models for for uh, never uh, the sort of the Everblight models, which was essentially became the palette that I used for my warrior army. But the way that he painted was very high level commission uh, or competition. So he, like he's one Euro military and things like that. So he was, yeah. so AD was really good at this really high-end painting. And what I, what I did is, is gleaned the kind of the method and dumbed it down to do it for an army level, uh, and applied that. And that's probably, I'd say it's one of the, the things that really accelerated my, my skill level in painting, um, in terms of for an army, um, 
uh, for AOS, it's kind of been a bit weird because all I've done really is quick to the table stuff that's, you know, just done. So do you, when you do a project, and I guess you kind of touched on it already, um, so you do a new project, say it's an army or a Necromunda gang or something like that, do you do you try something new every time? Do you try, is there something that is it like a technique or a method or a, a look that gets you the excitement for the project? Or is it more about you want to paint those models and you use stuff from your, your arsenal of techniques you've used and it's just a replication of that? Or do you always try and find a new thing? I find that I'm always looking for a new thing to try out, whether it's a medium or a new product or a new way of painting I've not done before. And that, that's where I get my enjoyment. Every single time. Every single time I paint something personal, I try something new, um, yeah. I, or, or it's or it's something that I feel like I'm I'm lacking at, like something I want to try to get better at, and I use that opportunity to practice it. Yeah. Um, so uh, for the Stormcast Army, it was non-metallic metal, and for the Nurgle Army, uh, I was trying to do Is it more of a corroded version yeah. of. Uh, um, sorry, did I say something? Uh, no, no, I was going to say you were doing rust, weren't you? I remember talking to you and you said you wanted to really push worn metal and corrosion and rust in the Nurgle. Yes, yeah. So it was the, the sort of corroded non-metallic metal, but I, but I also wanted to try to do more kit bash and, uh, you know, push a little bit of, of the sculpting aspects of that army. So I, I, I worked with several different things on the Nurgle army, which, which is also why it took longer than the Stormcast army. But one of the, one of the things, for example, was like you said, that the corroded non-metallic metal. I also worked on sculpting. I also wanted to try to do something with, uh, resin. Um, so, so the, the display board for, um, for the Nurgle is about 70, uh, uh ounces of tape cleared high gloss table resin mixed with blood for the blood God. Just, <laughs> poured layer after layer after layer Cold and uh, a, a really a, a really fun thing that happened this was this was oh uh, man i poured this i think two days before i was leaving for nova open and if this if this display board doesn't work out i'm screwed you if know it doesn't <laughs> and it doesn't so, so i had this I, right so, so it was it was actually uh resin that was going to cure uh, fairly fast that I did very slow layers. I'd already been pouring a lot over top for, for, for weeks, essentially. But, um, what I had to do was I had a, a wooden frame and in order for the, for the water or blood water to sit inside of the frame without having a lip to it, without having a thickness to the border, I had to dremel very, very carefully, uh, to, to make a thin point, uh, of that, um, edge there. And I had by mistaken dremeled a little bit lower on, on, on oh, just yeah. a little gash. So when I was pouring this final layer, it just kept pouring out and pouring out of that little oh, tiny no. spout on one side. Oh. And at that point, you're, you're just standing and it's, it is pouring and it's running and you just have to kind of, you know, keep pushing up something, keep trying to silver tape it to, to sort of like keep it yeah. from not running out. And it was. Yeah, that was a fun, oh, wow. that was a fun little project to do. But <laughs> yeah, so every, every single time I, I try to do something new, and for for this Cal Jericho model that I'm painting right now, I really wanted to try to uh, work a little bit more on glazing and work on face uh, to paint the face and with with character. Yeah. yeah. Um, so yeah, every single time. How did you get on at Nurgle Open with the Nurgle 
in the painting? Uh, did you win? Uh, how I did with the, with the Nurgle at Nova Open yeah, last year? Yeah, in the painting. Yeah, I, I, I took home uh, the best painted and uh, for the doubles as well. So both in GT and doubles. Nice. Yeah, well deserved. Yeah, the, the, the doubles I won with Kelly Freeborg, uh, who uh, uh, painted a uh, or and custom sculpted almost a amazing looking female Nagash model. Oh, yeah. No, I've seen that. Yeah. yeah. She did a great job on that sculpt. That, was, that looked amazing. That's, amazing. That's good. Um, so I was going to ask you, um, in terms of medium, like some of the things that I've been like fascinated by recently, and it's kind of, um, something that I, I want to delve into a bit more and do, and I'm thinking about this grim, dark 40 K style and applying it to age of Sigmar because you don't really see it. And I kind of see age of Sigmar as quite a dark and grim place, which is why it appeals to me so much. Um, have you have you experimented with oils or or any of those mediums, or do you just stick to acrylic, uh, or is it stuff like, you know, um, your kind of your enamel washes and those kind of historical weathering and those kind of techniques? Is that something you've played around with, or do you have you not had that that sort of journey yet? I I painted oil portraits uh, in in at the at university. Yeah. Um, so I, I, I used to work in oils. I still have all my oil colors, my brushes and all that stuff. Now, the, the, it's a little bit of difference. Usually, uh, I haven't tried the oil colors that are being sold for miniature paintings. Um, I, I feel more drawn to the acrylics, but I, I'm definitely not opposed to trying it one day. I think it's it's really good There's to, to nice, try, try everything at least once in order nice to kind matches. of feel out and see how it works. Yeah, um, interesting. But I... But, but I have tried, uh, you know, the en- enamel stuff, and, yeah. and I just ordered some some more of the enamel streak stuff Streaking from, from MIG. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yep, stuff like that, and and just some just you know stock up on a few things, and because I really want to get more uh, grimy with that on my Necromunda board that I'm building for uh, myself. Exactly uh, what and really- I'm using it for my corridor, and I've been using it on my Necrons. So uh, yeah, it's definitely been a- an experience. I watched a really good video. Um, but I'm going to completely say this wrong because it's like Coast Good Miniatures or something like that. But he basically does this grimdark compendium free videos where he basically has a sheet of card and he'll paint it in loads of different oils. And, and he's like, like showing you like putting like white spirit over it or mineral spirit for, for you guys or, um, or chucking like really like isopropyl alcohol or like, you know, he's just saying, this is how it behaves. This is how it behaves. This will take it off. This won't take it off. If you scrub it this hard, it will come off. If you do it with this, it won't. And it's, it's, this is how you reactivate it. This is how you seal it. This is how much playtime you've got. And it was really interesting because so many of the myths that you hear are like, oh, you can't mix the two and all this. And actually it's, it's complete rubbish. And, um, it was really, for me, that gave me the, it got me over the, the hurdle to give it a go because I think sometimes and I noticed that uh, Sean's put in the thing that highlighting is too scary for him I think sometimes you need that that encouragement to do the thing that pushes you it's out of your comfort zone yep. but that's the only way you're going to grow right so it's super right. I think it's super important to have a creative person to always be looking to push yourself in in whatever you do whether that's that's gaming or painting, but, but essentially like going, well, actually I need to, I need to paint 
I want to be better at painting, but I, you're never going to grow if you don't experiment. And I think experimentation is such an important part of improving your painting. And I, I just wanted to say to you, like, what, how how far down the rabbit hole do you go with that? Or do you have those things? Well, this is how I'm going to paint my lever because I know it just works. Cause I find when I do a project, right. I, I tend to keep enough of it similar and familiar and, and go, I'll go cause you're on this one extra thing. Because if you try to do like five new things, it could, it could just be a complete disaster. Right. I mean, how do you, how do you approach that? Do you kind of moderate your experimentation or you kind of like, just go for it? Um, it depends on the project. I mean, at, at, at this point in time, you know, the, the, it's one of those things where having a limited amount of time to um, do my personal projects also limits a little bit of my of how much experimentation I can do at this time. Um, that's why whenever I do try to do a project, I always try to learn something new or progress my skills in one area by trying something or applying something new. Because uh, when I do my, my work for my clients, clients that, that, that definitely is one of those areas where they, they come to me because they know what they're going to get to some extent. And I don't want to necessarily spring a bunch of surprise projects on them. You know, yeah, you know what I mean? Like they have an idea of what they want. They, they have an aesthetic that they like. And I, and I sort of fit within that box of what they're expecting. Uh, to get from me. Um, so, so I think that, you know, when it comes to rabbit holes, I'm one of those people I like to go all the way if possible. Um, with, with, but, but, but time is essentially what restricts me a lot of times to really get in there. But I definitely want to, as soon as these streaking grinds come in, I think I'm, uh, that's one of those things I'm going to experiment quite a lot with. You should definitely, it's awesome. Um, it's very matte, but yeah. it is, is a lot of fun. I've only done one model now. I sound like an expert, right? But I've watched videos so many because that's how it works, right? Um, Always, right? Yeah. <laughs> I watched I've the video seen, and um, I know everything. I just regurgitate the content and I sound like I know what I've seen next. one stage of it do, um, do ridiculous stuff. So I did a dry brushing lesson with someone who's very proficient in streaking grime, faux hammer. I sat down and I gave him a dry brushing lesson. We had two identical looking pieces of scenery and he took it away and did, did, did streaking grime to it and then sent me a picture. It's like, God, take me through your stages. And he was like, there's one stage. Yeah. And you put Spray streaking, it over there, you put streaking take grime. Take it off with mineral spirit. Done. <laughs> yep. And yeah. his thing was put it on 20 minutes before you take it off. Yeah. That was his like, like little nuance to it. But, um, Oscar, I was going to ask you, you've said like streaking grime and stuff like that. What are your, uh, like I tend to admire things in other painters that I find I'm not very good at myself. Um, and they're the things that I often try and get better at. So like I'll try and do an ogrami because I'm not very good at flesh, that type of thing. What, what are your, like, what are your things that you've got on your radar in the future or that you respect in other painters because you find them difficult yourself? I think, I think one of the things that I've been looking a lot at right now has been to make terrain. Um, that's something that I've been trying to get. I, I, I did, uh, bef- this was last fall. So after Nova Open, I did a, an Age of Sigmar table where I really tried to step up the game. Cause normally when I do terrain for my local game store, um, battlegrounds, I, I, uh, I do them so they last. So I, I, I do, for example, a three-step hill, 
and then I sand it all so it kind of cements the, the foam in, and then it's mounted on an MDF board, some masonite or something like that, and then I just put a thick coat of paint on it, and I dry brush it, and maybe I put some flock on it if I if I feel like it, and then that's it, you know. Because that way, you know, when people bang around on it for, for, for a few years, there's minor chipping, but it doesn't break to some to some extent. But with this project, yeah. I really tried to, you know, I had I had some 3D um, uh, uh, buildings printed by uh, Crazy Horse on Twitter, a- Anthony, um, and uh, and and sort of tried to utilize that. Where I also used a lot of flock, a lot of you know rocks and grime and dirt and things like that to kind of throw in and get a little bit more uh, feeling to the to the scenery. And with this Necrobunda board, it's definitely something that I, I'm, I'm trying to explore and learn new techniques. I've been looking at a lot of tutorials by, um, by, uh, train modelers that have been doing, you know, things like rust techniques and different ways of, of approaching that. Um, the way that they're scratch building things from just shit that you find in an alleyway, you know, so <laughs> yeah. you can kind of get a little cheap. Um, but but also um, really trying to get better at looking at a cohesive because the I, I think that the the general uh, Warhammer style of painting and 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 doing the hobby is a very sort of middle of the of the middle of the line essentially it, it just it uses saturated colors it uses pure colors it mixes some colors it has a little bit of light but it's mostly just kind of like apply the paint to the model and have fun with it but then there are these like you know grim dark where it's just like very you know it's supposed to be dirty and grimy and things like that and then you have those kind of like um on the opposite end you have those things that are very conceptual yeah where it's just like it's it's very minimal. It's very clean. It's just very stylish in some extent. So, you know, I, I think that I gravitate a lot towards the center of that line because of I, I started so young. The only way I could get inspiration to paint these models and learn how to paint them was to look at White Dwarf. You know, that was the yeah. material. Yeah. There weren't any YouTubes around. No. You know, I couldn't find any YouTube tutorials on how to do this shit because this was back in the 90s, you know what I mean? Yeah, um, don't remind me. <laughs> <laughs> so, 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 I mean, so, so I gravitate towards that, uh, you know, when it comes to these, you know, um, uh, this sort of, you know, more of like AOS 28 and things like that. My personal opinion about it, I, I, I don't feel excited about doing that stuff, but I think that there's a lot of yeah. knowledge that can be gained from it because the guys that are doing it are very passionate about what they're doing. And there's a, it's a very particular style and the style that they've grown to create it, it is a very impressive thing that they have, that they, that they're producing. It's just necessarily yeah. not aligning with my aesthetical purpose. Because I know I see a lot of the Inquisitor 28 scale stuff, and that's all like really funky conversions, and it's all like Mm -hmm. Blanche and Sue stuff. And like, I mean, and I really respect that stuff, but it Mm -hmm. just doesn't appeal Mm -hmm. to me. Like, at all. I'm I'm like you, it's like I was brought up with White Dwarf and heavy metal painting, and that's that to me is the, the, the top of the pyramid, and that's kind of like what I look at. Um, but I, but at the same time, it is 
I've never really pushed myself into that direction to do all of those like blanchetsy conversions and the grimy, dirty sort of like that look. So like fair play to sort of like go down that route and try and sort of like find a way to like put that into your hobby. Like, you know, with like following the, you know, the, the YouTube tutorials on, um, you know, the, the model train guys, um, that's something that perhaps I need to do more. And it's like, it's one of the things that like I was going to say is like, and I'm sure Russ like maybe touched on it earlier on is that like, just because like for me personally, it's like I paint in a specific style. Um, and that's like it it's like i don't like aesthetically i don't like stuff that isn't in a similar style which is yeah. like you know it's it, it's how i am it's like how important do you think uh, it is to just throw away that and just really go like completely out there like so um you know uh, i don't paint like russ i couldn't paint like russ but that doesn't necessarily mean that i shouldn't paint like russ and it's right, the same right. with with you know, it's like, how important do you think it would be to just completely throw all of your preconceptions out the window and just go, right, I'm going to do something completely yeah. abstract now that just as a learning process, do you think you, that's something that you bring to your own hobby personally? Maybe not for a client, I guess, but. Right. No, no, I, I you know, I, I think it's very important to separate, you know, what is your aesthetical preferences and what are things that you, you know, just straight up don't like. Um, yeah. I think it's important to be true to yourself on that, and there's nothing wrong with that. You're not insulting anybody by having opinions and and dislikes and likes. Uh, but I think that if 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 you don't engage and explore and take an interest in what they're doing, I think that there's a lot of tricks that you are missing. And that's you know, and and also I can't tell people that go explore color. It's a missed opportunity <laughs> if you don't. And then like. I don't want to engage with anything that isn't color. You know, I can't be that hypocritical. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, but I, I, I do think that, um, I do think that there are things that, you know, you can go to AOS 28 or Inquisitor 28 or Blanchet or, or, or yeah. that kind of style or to even concept styles and look at things or even things that you might not have seen yet and stumble upon. You know, you go to train modelers and oftentimes, you know, I, I always had an opinion that that was, wasn't really much, uh, built to it because I never engaged yeah. that community. And then I ended up watching a few videos and I was just like, wow, they are building everything. I had this completely backward. And yeah. just seen, uh, engaging with shift. those videos for a little bit, you learn so much because these guys, they are so passionate about crafting almost everything from scratch using plaster molds and, you know, cutting carpets and you know i mean it's it's everything mm -hmm. it's everything so i really recommend everything having an everyone have having an open mind to uh things that they don't necessarily aesthetically align with um and yeah. having even if you run into someone that you befriend it's a great opportunity to ask a lot of questions about that style because there might be something that you an aspect of it that you do like about it for example the the the, the 28 kind of community I really, really like the sculpts that they are doing. For example, I think yeah. their conversions are absolutely amazing. Uh, when it comes to a lot of people that I see that are painting them, they're oftentimes painted in a style where the materials and the different parts of the miniatures aren't identified enough for me. Because that's yeah. something that I like to do. Yeah. I like to identify different materials and different colors and, and, and kind of color play a lot. So... The style of painting doesn't align, but I would love to paint one of their sculpts that some of these guys are doing. <laughs> they're absolutely amazing, you know? Yeah. 
I hope that Absolutely. answers your question at least. <laughs> of course, dude. Yeah, like, no problem, man. Like, it's just good to know. I think it is. Have you seen um, Have you seen Night Shift's work on YouTube? Maybe I am terrible with names. I'm very good with pictures. <laughs> okay, I just so, I just linked it in a uh, in general chat. He does he does some incredible stuff. His weathering is off like off the hook. It's absolutely amazing, and he's one of the some of his videos have got a million views, and it's like how to weather a tank or whatever. And um, yeah, he's uh he's super interesting for just graphic levels of competency and military mm-hmm. stuff. So uh, I'll okay. link that in the chat as. As well as the before and the after of what one layer of street and grind can do to a driver's building is also in the chat. Yeah. yeah. I, I am definitely going to check out that link. I really appreciate that. I'm very curious now, but I, I maybe should hold off until yeah, this, maybe. this second. <laughs> I think, yeah, I think you can't tempt me like that. Yeah, exactly. It's like, here's this thing. Don't look at it. Um, so just as we're obviously, I appreciate we're getting to we're sort of over the hour now, but I just wanted to um, ask you one question, and it might it might be a, a difficult one. Um, what's your what top- is your favourite base rim, and why is it black? Why is it not gold? Yeah, yeah, no, yeah. yeah that's not a question. <laughs> so what are your sort of top five products that you think every hobbyist should own? And that could be colours, it could be palettes, whatever. Yeah. So. I mean, I I am very big proponent of of uh, wet palettes. I I think that I, I I have a hard time painting without a wet palette at this point. Love a good wet palette. It's something that, that not only does it help to keep your 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 paint in a in a in a in a good condition for longer as you paint it also keeps your it's easier to mix on because the mix lasts longer as well um but it also saves money because there are uh, not all paints last overnight but some paints do where you can essentially just mix them back up and, and, and apply them again and that that i think is a really valuable thing not just economically but environmentally too uh to, to really be aware of the products that you're wasting as you're, as you're painting. And a wet palette really helps with that, I think. Um, especially good palettes. And, 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 and I've been using the Redgrass uh, brand yeah. since That's they the kickstarted several years ago. They are slim. They are nice. They're easy to transport. They, the papers last really well. And they continue to enhance their products which is very, very important for a brand to do. Because I remember they started with one thing. They are not at that place anymore. Like their papers that they have are better. Their painting handles, they just improved. I like companies like that because they are aware of what the community is is looking for. And they are eager to supply that to the the community, not just come up with a product, take all the money and bounce. Um, I think so you don't like army painters rip off. I'm going to end it with a palette right there. Uh, but I think uh, brush soap, very, very important too. Uh, yeah. You know, if you take care of your brushes, your brushes will take care of you. Do you clean your That's brushes after rule. every session? Not after every session since I work, you know, 40 to 60 hours a week. Uh, but I clean them mo- after most sessions. I do. Yeah. I think um, I do mine like every other day. Yeah. Yeah. I, I I think it's also one of those things where it's important to just kind of know what you're doing with the brush. You know, if I'm using metallics on a brush, 
I generally try to clean it after I'm done with the metallics just to get those out of there so that they're not drying into the brush. Yeah. Um, yeah. But if I'm just using like a smooth gel-based paint, you know, kind of acrylic stuff, and I just rinse it out really well, you know, I I can paint, I can clean it tomorrow. That's fine. It doesn't have to be anything crazy rule-wise. Um, another medium that I think is really important is airbrush flow improvement. That okay. has become a little bit of a of a of a holy grail for me. I mix in a little bit of airbrush flow improver into all my paints as I as I use them. Um, essentially, when I start with a pot or the dropper bottle, I pop it open, I mix in a little bit of that, and I, and I pump it back, the cork back on, and I shake it up, and then I use it. And the reason why I do that is because the airbrush flow improver includes a little bit of what's called a retarder. A retarded medium. And a retarded medium is a medium that prevents or, or it aids to slow the drying process a little. And I find that that works really, really well with a wet palette. Um, it also works really, really well when you're painting on a model, especially if you're painting in more hotter conditions or, you know, drier conditions, uh, as like in, a, in an AC uh, controlled studio space. Uh, where you have a little br- blow of circulation and stuff like that. It also yeah. helps to, to when you're trying to blend things because the, the, you, you have a little bit more time. You're not just putting the paint on the model and then it's dry and then you're just like, ah, shit, you know? Like you can actually put a little bit of paint on the model. You can put the next paint on and you can take another brush and you can start blending the two together. Uh, so it, it, it starts to nudge a little bit of the acrylic paints towards uh, more of an oil characteristic where you have a lot more time uh, to, to, to blend and, and things like that. Um, you, are you not a brush licker? Oh, I am. I am. I am consuming brush water. Oh my God. I, should, <laughs> I don't are even, you I even want to think about, about I am a brush licker. Chemicals in your paints and then licking the brush. It's too late anyways. I don't lick oil brush, uh, uh, though. <laughs> I am no. staying away from that. Because I know uh, someone that really paints is... that was putting um, sort of pl- uh, flow improver and stuff in their mixes, and they got really sick. Unfortunately. Um, I, I, I'm sure I'm going to get there at some point. I think at this point I've already screwed myself You've consumed over. enough. And I washed fine. my brushes out really well before that, and I changed my water quite frequently. Yeah. Yeah, I'm a brush licker. <laughs> it's like... Um, okay, so uh, anything else you'd recommend like, over those flow and yeah. wet palette, um, you know, those sort of things? I mean, these, these, these things are quite basic, you know. I, I'm sure that some of the other uh, professional painters like Mengel might have some other things that he likes to play around with. But another thing that I really, really like is uh, making sure you have a good painting handle. And, and there's uh, quite a few brands out right now that are, are producing good painting handles. Um, I, I like both the Citadel and the Redgrass painting handles for, uh, you know, they, they kind of have different properties to it. Uh, the Redgrass I, I like to, to utilize when I'm doing just a single model um, that's quite small, like a, like a less than four, like a, like a 32 millimeter base or smaller. Uh, the GW, I'm, I'm more a fan of when it comes to like more robust, like 40 mil and up, because they can hold them more stably and stuff like that. Yeah. Um, yeah. But I think having that, especially when you're painting something that you're passionate about and 
when you're touching around the model, even if you wash your hands regularly, because it's 2020, uh, you still have oils that kind of come through in your fingers. And when that gets on the model, you know, it, it can give you complications in the future. And yeah. avoiding those complications, like scraping off paint or I airbrush and then I go back to painting and then I airbrush again and I go back to painting and there's yeah. always a little bit of residue that maybe sits on the finger even if I'm wearing gloves or whatever. And when that gets on that model and you have to repaint a fully blended surface, ah, man, that just blows. Yeah. yeah. So <laughs> I am. Um, I know when I was painting my Archeon, there's just no way to hold it. So like I was wearing like latex <laughs> gloves whilst painting him just and everyone I was sending like work in progress pictures to people and they're like, why have you got bright orange like latex gloves on? And I'm like, because they were the ones at the time at work that I could get for free. And I was just like yeah. there and it's just uh, even then, like, you know, I, I agree. Like if you can get, it's one of the downsides of the big models, right? Is like the fact that you almost have to handle them at some point and then you start rubbing because of like the pressure points on like your thumb and your forefingers and you end up rubbing off like bits that you think you've done spent ages painting horns or like tips and then like you're like oh right okay go back and repaint it again it's frustrating in the extreme yeah yeah it's happened to me so many times i at this point i'm just trying to avoid it at all cost yeah it's uh it is difficult i remember i did a land raider recently and it was just there's just no way you can actually paint it without holding it and i can remember i did the entire thing and then as i finished i moved like pulled my hand away and i left a great big thumbprint sort of like on the bottom half of it and it was an imperial fist one and i had to like repaint the entire bottom half of the tank and i was just like no <laughs> you know it was just yeah, it's very frustrating in the extreme. It's like lessons learned, always wear gloves when holding a big model or handle it as like right. as little as you possibly can. Yeah. So. Absolutely. Absolutely. Awesome. Amazing. It's a cool one. Okay. Um, well, I think that's I think that yeah. Sorry, I, say, I think that's probably enough painting talk, but um I'd really, really pleasure, appreciate you coming on. It's been absolutely uh, amazing yeah. to hear your thoughts and uh, enlightening as well. Um, so I would say if you, you know, check out Oscar's channel and, and support him. Do you have a Patreon or anything like that that you're that you do? Yeah, yeah, uh, I, I I do have a Patreon. I will link it in the in the general chat. Um, but it's it, everything that I have is always Oscar Lars. So it's yeah. easy to remember. If you're looking for a patron, you search for Oscar Lars. If you're looking for my website, search for Oscar Lars. If you're looking for YouTube, Oscar Lars. Instagram, makes Twitter, easy, same right? thing. <laughs> yeah, I mean, yeah. it's just, you know. It's the brand. It's easy is good. You know? Yeah. But I'd say, um, you know, if you if you want to hear more of uh, Oscar's uh, sort of thoughts and see, see some of his amazing work, then go check it out and uh, support, uh, you know, because it's... Uh, I think that the amount of time to create the content and put it out there and, and spread this knowledge um, is 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 a lot of time. And I think that, um, you know, it's great that, that people go out there and create this content. So it's great to support those. So I say thank you very much for coming on our sort of fledgling <laughs> tentative baby steps <laughs> into into YouTube and things like that. And, and this live event where we're, we're streaming to a small group. But, you know, we like to think it's... Uh, that people are enjoying the content so i know ben johnson said he could listen to you talk color all day so you know that was in the top <laughs> chat. so um yeah i just want well, to say thank you very, very nice much. compliment yeah and um yeah thank you very much for coming on and thanks for everyone who's watching and uh yeah we'll, we'll speak to you soon absolutely pleasure
having me. No worries. Anytime. Thank you. Face Hammer merchandise is available from elementgames.co.uk. Head over to the website and type Facehammer in the search bar to see the full range. From custom dice in a multitude of colours, paint racks to hold Vallejo Scale 75 Games Workshop and many more ranges of paints, and objective markers to make sure you never miss an objective again during match play, head over to elementgames.co.uk and search for Facehammer. So if you want to support the show, pick up some cool gamer swag from the Element Games web store and level up your hobby. Hi, uh, welcome to another Face Hammer Worldwide interview and we are joined by the excellent Tyler Mengel from like Mengel's Miniatures, as you can see, festooned with Golden Demon trophies and uh, Cardinal Overlords and other various Games Workshop paraphernalia in the background. Is that a drink I can see on the shelf there? <laughs> yeah, I, I, saw, I saw the tweet. I had a <laughs> Yeah, that's great. Um, so, how are you getting on... I'm good. I'm good. No, I thought you take a mouth. <laughs> was just uh... your question. <laughs> <laughs> so um, I think what we do is we yeah. It was a uh... yep. Sorry, go on. We just start off, and um, we might be on a little bit of a time delay because of you on the other side of the world, basically to us. So. Um, but hopefully it's okay. Um, I just wanted to really start off and say thanks for coming on and giving up some of your time to talk to people and uh, our small sort of niche crowd of, of of hardcore people that are still up and, and hanging out with us um and also just maybe it's a good idea just to introduce yourself and tell people who maybe not know who you are and, and what you're up to and uh and, and a bit about yourself and the hobby yeah uh well, first thanks for having me thanks for being up at midnight over there for yeah, uh, for this um yeah, so yeah, I'm Tyler Mangle. I run Mangle Miniatures. Uh, if you don't know me from that site, you might know me from the um, Mind the Mangle tutorials on the community site. Um, I've been in the hobby for 22 years now, and I've uh, been running my website for the last, technically the last like 11, but it was kind of just a personal blog for a while. Uh, so for like the past five or six years, it's been kind of more serious so what, what um, made you start now I've uh, <clears throat> it's actually the second Mengel Miniatures blog I had a first one that I think I made on WordPress or something my current one is on Blogger and right. I couldn't remember my login so I just made a new one so you might find a, a really old uh, pre like 2010 one out there if you look hard enough um, it was a uh, it was so what started the original thing was just kind of like I said, a personal blog, a place to post um, my own pictures and stuff. And what made me start doing more like uh, article driven content, I guess, was I wasn't seeing the content out there on other people's websites that I wanted to read. Mm. So I figured that I would do it myself instead. That's super interesting because that's like from a different point of view. That's exactly why me and Dan started the South Coast GT with Wayne, and also why, kind of why Facehammer started. Actually, that we yeah yeah we were just like oh we were chatting and we we're like oh we just missed these podcasts and and these kind of things that we used to listen to and there aren't any 
so we just put our own out and i think it's always that hope that other people start a blog that you could then digest and enjoy mm-hmm. yeah you know it's funny i feel like a lot of like you said stuff starts that way a lot of things are because someone wants to see whatever and it's not out there so they go ahead and they do it themselves and a lot of events start that way like you said you know um you know like in our area brad ended up running a lot of our events because if we want to do it someone has to run it so he'd be the one who would do it so we could run the type of events that we want to see um but yeah i mean and it, it's ironic because i wanted to i started it so i could put out the content that i want to see but then it kind of takes up a lot of time so i'm not really seeing like other people's content. content. <laughs> yeah, tell me about it. I don't yeah, not as much. Else. You know, <laughs> it's like always editing my own and just <laughs> recording. I don't have time. Yeah, it's hard. You, I feel bad sometimes because I like I want to, you know, see or listen or read all this other stuff people are doing, but it's like I don't, I just don't have the time between editing and doing my own stuff and just having time for other things and work. You know, it's got to, something's got to give. <laughs> yeah yeah i totally totally see that um so you're obviously like from a hobby point of view then you're you kind of obviously you're a very prolific painter and you, you do stuff for warhammer community and from the mind of mangle and some of your you kind of very crisp in the way you do your like edge highlighting and stuff like that and uh it's kind of inspirational to me when you see the output you could achieve with a fairly simple process but is it do you just make it look easy? Do you spend a lot of time painting? So, for example, like your Nighthorn, if you were painting a Nighthorn model, how long would you take to <coughs> paint one of your ghosties, generally? Just a single one? Yeah, um, like a Lord well, of the Station. Like I did... You know, pick a model, I don't mind. So I just did the special edition, uh, the special edition Guardian of Souls. I just did that a little bit ago, and it took me like a week. And that's like... Uh, Maybe two hours a day, oh, so okay. like ten hours. Yeah, it's not bad for a single character yeah. of that quality, is it? So do you, do you tend to paint? No, I mean the Nighthound is. Sorry. <laughs> yeah, I try and usually if I'm like home and have access to my paints and stuff, I'm doing like probably one to two hours a day at least. Um, you know, pre pre pandemic, it was in the evenings only, pretty much. Yeah. Um, but now uh, I, I get to work from home some of the days, and my commute was, I had like two hours of commuting. Wow. So now I've got two more hours. Uh, so lately I've been fitting in basically like 30 minutes to an hour before work. The moment you're driving, I'm up at the same time. And then um, maybe I'm my lunch break a little bit in the evening. So I'm, I'm definitely getting more painting in now, but typically probably about two hours. I actually get less painting in on the weekends probably than I do on weekends. <laughs> And um, so you started off in that, obviously you started your blog and that, and that was driven by trying to get content out there. Have you always, I mean, you obviously game as well, um, but do you, are you kind of, were you always a painter and then you got into gaming or you're into gaming, got into painting? How did your hobby journey kind of go? Um, you know, I, I guess when I started, it was kind of just like an equal, equal parts of both. Uh, it was like, I was 11, 11 or 10. Um, is third edition 40k that I started with. So I got into it probably just because I thought the models looked cool. Um, yeah. 
And I definitely, you know, I definitely gamed more when I was younger because it's, you know, the thing of when you're younger, you don't have the money, but you have the time. You get older, you have the time. You don't have the <laughs> other way around. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> you have the money plus the time, right? It's, uh, <laughs> it's, uh, yeah. yeah when you so, go. like, I, I, you know, thinking back on it, like, yeah, when I was younger, I definitely gamed a lot more. Um, but I was always really into the painting side of it. Um, you know, I entered in the Golden Demons starting from maybe like the second games day I went to into Young Bloods and stuff at the time. Um, so it, after probably like a year or two, it definitely started drifting more towards the painting, but I'm almost, almost always still painting stuff for gaming. Uh, even if I don't fit the game as often. So it's for four collections, four armies. Um, I don't do display pieces unless I'm painting it for a specific competition. Pretty much. So when you got your Golden Demons, were you painting models just for display for that goal? Or were you painting single models for armies that you just entered and they were that good? Or what was the... Um... So, starting out, so the one, in general, Golden Demon, starting out, it was probably stuff I painted for my army that I just thought was good and entered. Um, That's so cool. One, uh, <laughs> That's brilliant. Well, so I didn't win anything then. Uh, the first one I won, so 2012 was the first one I won, and it was a piece I painted specifically for it. Um, right. Okay. I spent a lot of time, probably like 50 hours on it. At least it was just a uh, is the Savage Orc War Boss, so oh, yeah, yeah, it had just come out at the time. Um, one of Byron's favorites, but oh, it's such a good model, yeah, it's a great model. Um, but I uh, that same year, I probably I, enter, I usually enter like a multitude of stuff, and it'll be kind of like half and half stuff I painted for specifically for it, and that's usually the one like I'm going in thinking I painted this to win something. I really hope to win, and then I'll take like a handful of other models that I think are good that I painted for whatever else, um, and just enter them in the hopes of maybe winning something with them. But they're kind of more like um, just because why not? I'm coming to the competition, I might as well bring it what whatever I can. So the second one I won though in 2013 was kind of a mix. I started out as a Plaguebearer squad, and it started out as um, something I was painting for my army at the time. And then I ended up spending a lot more time on the unit than I thought. And by the time I probably got like halfway through it, I figured, well, I'll enter like approach this as a competition piece. So then I kind of finished it off as a display and entered it. Yeah, um, that's cool. Um, but I've also had other stuff. Not when at all that I painted specifically for it. So, <laughs> yeah, it's kind of hit. It's hard though, isn't it? It's kind of hit and miss when you do. Um, I I don't. I've never really done competition painting, but I know people who have, and sometimes you get something that you think is really good and poured your heart and soul into, and it doesn't get anywhere. You get another thing you maybe not as happy with, and then it ends up like getting a pin or or, or you know even placing, and it's kind of a bit. It's kind of a little bit like what's around on the day. Um, how do you find mm -hmm. that that 
sort of um, process when you when you enter and it's kind of just down to what happens on games day you constantly hovering around to see is your model now being looked at I mean I don't know if it's the same in the US but over here like they take it to like another table to look at it and you're like oh it's not in the cabinet they're looking at it and all that do you get that kind of buzz and you're kind of excited or you just kind of walk off enjoy the show and see what happens no it's uh, both I don't hover around. I didn't. So there hasn't been a games day here since 2013 was the last one. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it was just, uh, you know, I enter it and I just kind of check back in throughout the day and see where it's at. Um, but yeah, I don't, I don't want to sit there and just wait. Cause it's kind of like torture to yeah, see yeah. what's going on <laughs> with the model. Yeah, I get that. Uh, I totally get that. Um, so you're, um, in terms of your sort of painting background then, do you have any, like, I mean, we were talking to Oscar Lars earlier and he was saying he had, like, his art degree and he had quite a lot of influence from, like, 2D or your painting or, or his, his actual, like, classical kind of studied art. Do you do you have that kind of background or is it just a hobby mm-hmm. that you just learned through miniature painters? How did you up your painting game, if I could put it that way? Um. Well, I do have my degree is in painting, um, oh, right. okay. but I don't, I don't know how much that actually plays. I'm sure it plays into it somewhat, but I mean, I was painting miniatures much earlier than I was painting like canvas and stuff. And I haven't really done much canvas painting at all since college. Um, so I'd say it's more from just painting models and years of practice of painting models. Uh, you know, when I think back on it, I attribute a lot of like the early uh, knowledge to actually reading the Epi Metal Masterclass articles from White Dwarf. And I would yeah. just read all of those and try out all those techniques. Um, and I still have, I have most of my White Dwarf magazines, but there was a, a chunk there where the, uh, I didn't save the magazines, but I still cut out the painting articles from everyone and I have a folder with all of them. Yeah, there were some real gems when they were the oh, uh, such amazing the ones. real like heavy metal articles, not not like the the sort of the paints yeah. and stuff, but the actual proper like ten stages to paint a leg Darren Latham style stuff, you know, and uh, <laughs> it was pretty awesome. But it's quite interesting that you do have a, a sort of because I I always think that understanding like color or light and shadow or how stuff plays on the model is super important. Um, because mm-hmm. it allows you to, you, although it's miniature painting is completely different to painting two D. I think it's it's really important to have that foundation and knowledge to produce decent competition pieces. Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely. Like I, said, I think it's not something I'm I'm aware of thinking of when I'm looking at it, but I'm sure it's in there. Um, you know, something that's just kind of ingrained in me and how I think about approaching different things but i mean i'd probably say a lot of uh my miniature painting skills transition more to the uh campus painting than the other way around when i was in college because it's what i did most of my painting with before was models so you know see that all kind of yeah i got switching from like models came first but yeah switching (laughs) tiny brushes like the big you know like brush this big <laughs> when you're painting on the canvas is really it's hard to get in there with the detail done. <laughs> yeah. 
Because you're still there, like, with your big brush, like, you know, trying to paint your model, like, with a big brush like this. You're like, mm, get in there. <laughs> <laughs> well, that, that's that's cool. Um, so, like, I mean, what, what motivates you to paint a model then? Like, do you... Is it just is it the background? Because I see you've got loads of Black Library novels, and I know you're a massive Death fan, like like myself. And I don't mean that like you're really morbid. I mean like, <laughs> the faction Death, and uh, I know you're particularly <laughs> happy with uh, Lady Alinda's sort of like role in in Age of Sigmar and things like that. So is it? Do you draw a lot of inspiration from the background and lore, or are you more about the model and about painting concepts, or is it? game in and you're like i want to play with that game in army i like the law and i want to paint them and then i i come up with a thing i mean what what when you want to start a new project what gets you going what's your kind of uh, motivation yeah it's probably a combination of all of it depending on what the project is uh lore definitely plays a huge part in it uh you know there can be models that i think are cool but the background doesn't interest me at all um then it just doesn't really like Terranids. They're cool models, but from a background perspective, they're cool from a background perspective, but not in a way that I can grasp. Yeah. Like there's no story to them because yeah. they're just mindless. It ain't cool so that's hard for me to. Yeah. Yeah. It's just, it's not something, it's something I could paint like one off or a small thing, but not a project. Um, yeah. And a lot of smaller things, one off models, um, do come from more of a concept or an idea of I want to try and paint this thing that way using this technique and this model is a good candidate for that. Sometimes that will spin off into a larger project. Um, yeah, I've got a lot of like single models laying around or lately uh, Warhammer Underworlds has been really good for just doing like I want to paint this warband this way and just see how it looks and then you can do the next one a completely different style or however you want to do it so yeah it's just a combination of all of them so what have you been working on recently then what's your kind of your latest thing uh necrons uh mostly yeah i love the new necrons the new reveals have been incre- insane as well they're they're my 40k faction of choice um from even back in the day yeah i remember like reading the story about how like the necron tier were tricked by the satan and all or the old one ones and the war with those like the fact they were like space tomb kings <laughs> before tomb kings had their book because i had the the old i want to say it's for 3.5 40k the when they originally were in White Dwarf and you had them in those weird like land speeder things, but then they did the update and they released the plastic <laughs> with the green yeah. cards and they did the, the Metal Satan and Deceiver and all that, then I collected those back when, or oh, must be, I'm, I'm old, must be like 20 years ago plus, um, when, when I was at workshop um, as an employee. So yeah, it must have been a long time ago, but... Yeah, the new the new models are just off the hook, really. And there's been some really good examples online. Um, so, what was your with in terms of painting? Then, do you draw inspiration from other painters? Do you talk? Do you sort of try and glean techniques and 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 methods, or have you just kind of you've got your style and you stick in that in that pocket, or do you go outside and? 
try and uh, push yourself is it like do you, with a project do you think oh, i want to do this or this or try this medium or do this technique or is it just more about like well i i'm going to apply my same style in a certain way but i just want to paint that model because of the background etc um i mean i try and do different techniques i don't know if it's different techniques different finishes kind of for a model um, but they always end up being variations of my style. So it's yeah. hard for me to get away from them. Um, but yeah, I actually just painted a Space Marine, uh, a Holland Griffin, that I uh, I saw Darren Latham painting the Blood Angel with like a metallic red yeah. on Instagram. And then literally, so I saw that earlier in the day, that night when I got home, I grabbed a Space Marine I had because I thought of this idea. I primed it. I started painting it. I painted it in the evening. It's kind of using the same idea and techniques as he did. Um, so, I mean, I definitely am inspired by other painters. Uh, I talked to other painters um, a lot for advice and feedback and just kind of, you know, see how they did certain things. But I definitely, it all ends up being variations of my style. Um, like, for example, the Necrons are meant to be a faster army or uh, my Iron Golems, too, for Warcry. They're meant to be I approached them like I wanted them to be faster. I wanted them to kind of have not a not necessarily a John Blanche uh, feel, but kind of like the uh, Forge World, how they do their uh, heresy stuff, where it's more realistic and more just uh, weathering on top of flat colors. And oh yeah, I was going to say it's gritty. It's got like that sort of yeah. So I wanted to like try and do something like light. that. No. Yeah, I don't really ever get to do that, so that was trying that, but it, it still kind of ends up being similar to what I do, or with a lot of the Underworld War bands I did lately, I used contrast paint on a lot of them, but not um, not like this, the put a coat of contrast paint on over a primer, it was more I was using contrast paint as glazes mm. and as shades because it's so much more saturated. Yeah. And it just gave a much more uh, vibrant color than my stuff usually is. So it's just cool to mess around with stuff like that. Because I, I found that I, I was going to ask you about contrast because I know you use it a lot and it's something that me and Les use quite a lot. And for me, like I back in the day, I used to use a lot of ink because I used to love the very strong pigmentation in ink. Then the problem with the, the GW washes when they went over to like the Nolan Oil and the Agrax, they're very, very kind of wishy-washy like they don't really have much color they kind of tint but they don't really like shade like as they don't give you that vibrancy and i know a lot of painters that i spoke to they always thin paint to get the the sort of the pigmentation in those those and the saturation in the uh the shadows mm -hmm. and i find that contrast does a really good job of getting that that strong pigment where you need it um so do you, do you have you done any like traditional contrast sort of like just paint by numbers and then do highlighting or do you just use it on top of normal paint or how have you, how have you found the contrast journey? Um, yeah, I've used it both ways. Um, I haven't done like a full project with the, the traditional contrast method of just on top of highlights, but I've done random models um, again, mostly because I decided I wanted to try doing you know, whatever color scheme or whatever technique and see if it worked. Like I did some um, anvils with the Heldenhammer Stormcast with 
it was just contrast paint on top of gracier some yep. metallics and then one layer of highlights and i just wanted to see like how how good can i make this look just doing you know bare minimum um I, I really liked it and i was really tempted to do like a full army that way but i haven't yet the problem i find is i was really excited to use contrast paints but i have so many ongoing armies that use <laughs> already existing techniques yeah. and paints and i don't want to mix it up in the middle of it yeah because you're kind of adding to existing forces rather than a, a new force because mm-hmm. i yeah i'm always i've always been waiting for like what my what my um, contrast army is going to be but i haven't had it yet because I, I sort of, um, at the start of lockdown, I've got a couple of the Batman miniature game gangs and I wanted to just use contrast. So all I did was a Xenophil black-white and then I contrasted over the top of it um, uh, just, to, just to find out how it behaves and experiment. And um, my Bone Reapers are basically, uh, they're sort of dry brushed and with, with contrast paint. Uh, an airbrushing and that's all it is and I've done no highlights on them at all and they look alright you know it's a, it's something that I could go back to and then spruce up but it allowed me to get the army on the table quickly uh, which was super super useful yeah bone reapers are funny I feel like they're an army that falls on the two extremes of um, they paint really well with contrast and dry brushing like you said and they paint really well if you spend like a ton of time on them but i felt like the middle Nothing in the middle area <laughs> they're a little bit, yeah they're a little bit harder you kind of have to do like one or the other yeah yeah that was my thought that's why i didn't want to go like good standards because i don't want to i don't want to they're too detailed to go like if you like you say it would take forever mm-hmm. if you went super high i'm in awe pretty much of the heavy metal bone reaper army i think like to paint all those models just to that level is just crazy i mean like even like just painting catacross is, is daunting um but i think i think you're right that's this the army that kind of lends itself to a quick style but if you if you want to make it like put your time in it it's just it's a massive undertaking Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's my uh, my bone reapers have stalled out because of that. I kind of just burnt myself <laughs> out painting them. If you pitched it at the top end, then who's going? I'm going to do these as best I can. No, it was just uh, because I wanted all my death stuff to look the same, so yeah. I had to paint them using the same how I painted bone and other things. I had to be the way I painted bone on them, and the purple had to be the same. And it yeah. was more finding that like the bone, even though the way I paint bone was just spray it white. Do a seraphim sepia wash, and then highlight like edge highlight everything. Yeah, they have all those little like flangey bits yeah. on them. Yeah, and you yeah. just in like little holes, and you just end up spending so much time just highlighting all those, and it just it killed my soul a little bit. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> have them, I'll get to them eventually. Yeah, it's uh, mm-hmm. it's a super intimidating army to paint. I was quite fortunate. My death is that I started off from my dipped death with dip with love death army. I did my vampire counts and stuff like that. So when I every time I've added, like even my flesh eaters were airbrush dip, bit of bit of blood and all that, and and nice basing and a few highlights at the end kind of thing. And I ended up with um, 
like because of that i i with my bone reapers it was like well actually it's okay to do this because all my models in my deaf army uh, are kind of that level um yeah. one one thing i thought you that i was really interested in was your flayed one you did with contrast which is you know which is just amazing really um Oh, sorry, is it Crip Flayer? I mean, not Flayed One. That's Necrons on the Brain. So to bear with me, it's after midnight. <laughs> I've got Necrons on the Brain. Uh, but no, the, um, the Crip Flayer you did, which is just, which is, um, I think you've done it in like the blister skin colours. So it's like reds and, and crimsons and that. And you did that with contrast, didn't you? And that's sort of super simple, but it looks amazing. Yeah, it was just um, uh, Gracier. Prime, and then I just used like uh, the purples and pink contrast paints, and just kind of painted them um, carefully. Yeah. So instead of, I mean, there's areas like on his arms, it blends, and like his legs, it blends down to like yeah. a, a solid, more solid purple or pink color. And that those areas obviously got like a solid coat of it, and kind of feathered out near the top or wherever. But like on the the center mass of him and his like his face and stuff, I was just painting it into the crevices right. instead. Uh, so that way I didn't have to go back with a ton of grace here and fix it up as much. Yeah, yeah just yeah, yeah. just painting, paint, put paint it where I needed. Yeah, yeah. Uh, do you? you, and, you know, one thing. Gone. Sorry. I was gonna say one thing that when I see um, sometimes that like I I used to paint this way and I just haven't in a long time. Usually is where it would be like paint something the crag blue wash the entire thing with null oil or oil clean it all up with the crag blue yeah it's like what why this yeah paint the the paint shade the in the spots yeah. you need it yeah yeah it's a massive and then thing. just clean up a little bit instead of spending like rebase coating the whole thing <laughs> particularly if you've got a thinned paint that naturally is going to pull into the recess although you might stain the mm -hmm. area immediately next to the recess that's kind of what you want that's almost like a blend right and then um yeah I, i've been doing it with some space walls i've been doing it as a commission so it's literally just airbrush rust gray and then all i've done is gone in with like agrax and rhinox hide mix and just paint it into the cracks and all the armor and then just just do an edge highlight and they're basically done they're only like meant to be gaming level it's kind of it makes it super easy but mm -hmm. they actually look look pretty wicked you know you do it and you're like that looks fine you know it looks like you've put more layers on because the wash stage kind of tints more than the recess and the recess is darker and then the you know the the fact that you've done that airbrush xenophore it's kind of given you a little bit of a transition anyway um and and that but that's actually a good question actually do you use an airbrush if you ever use one or are you all a traditional brush man um i have one uh, <laughs> I've used one, but I don't really use it. Like, uh, so I have a real, I think a really nice one. I don't really know airbrushes that well. Um, that I actually won at like some painting competition, uh, five years ago, maybe that wow. I've never opened. Um, but be before <laughs> that I had, what I would use an airbrush for, I would just use airbrushes for base coating large yeah. things. Yeah. So if I needed like a solid coat. Um, I would just use an airbrush and I actually, I had a badger for a while. Yeah. Um, but what I, for just the, what I was using it for just base coating thing, solid colors, I actually had this cheap, like $15 one I got from a craft store. It's, <laughs> supposed to, it's like a beginner airbrush. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but I have a compressor, so that helps you know, I'm not using like the cans or anything. I got the compressor. Yeah. Yeah. I don't Yeah. No. 
not really use airbrushing. Do you um? Do you um? Sorry, go on, Byron. So just to say, so like um, when you're coming up with these ways to use contrast and stuff like that, and you you try and come up come up with an article, where do you pull your inspiration from? So, for example, your Slimer Nighthorn one that you did, um, where do you mm-hmm. like where where does your process start from to end up where it does? Do you just have like one color in mind and then you pick ones that are going to work with it, or do you have a a method in mind and you pick the colors? Um, well, that one was uh, literally, I just needed to test out the MV paint. Um, so I was looking through what models I had already primed. I, was, I didn't want to <laughs> anything. I had that one sitting there. Uh, so that one was kind of, yeah, the, the, I needed to test out that paint. Um, so I, I did, that one was just experimenting the whole time. I put the, the color straight over it. I just wanted to see what it did without any medium or anything like that and then yep. from that point i looked at it and i said you know whether i need to do this model now to get it to a stage i'll be happy with so i'll try some dry brushing try some highlights try some shades um so that one's kind of like a, a more odd situation but lots of times it's more um it, it's either trying to replicate or come close to a scheme i've seen somewhere or with some of my stuff like uh, my Night Hunt Army, it was literally, you know, I've obviously seen people use the oxide color for that effect before, and it's been being done for ever yeah. since that color came out. Um, and it was, I want to do something similar like this, and I want it to be fast and easy to paint. And it was just uh, testing it out, and then it's kind of refining it from there. Um, a lot of my stuff, for larger projects is more of a it needs to be fast and easy and still look okay in the end uh, mm-hmm. so like my night hunt my plague bearers and my daughters of cane are all kind of approached from that direction and do you find yourself going back to like a, a core like a lot of people have a core favorite set of colors or do you try and pick new ones for new projects or how does that stuff work i try and pick new ones i always end up seeming to use Incubi Darkness and Screamer Pink uh, a lot of <laughs> things. Um, but yeah, sometimes I'll go, yeah, sometimes I'll approach a project like I, you know, I use a lot of blue. So I want to do something with either no or very small amount of blue in it because I just paint so much blue or I paint so much green. So I want to do something that's red. So I do try and do projects like that sometimes. Um, that doesn't always work. I think like my Nurgle stuff, it was, you know, I was so sick of um, Night Hunt is just uh, washes on top of white with highlights. And I just wanted to do something that I, first off, that didn't involve using white primer. Um, <laughs> because I haven't had horrible luck with it, but it's still not the best thing to use. Uh, and I wanted to do something with more color, like actual, use, use actual color paints instead of just white paint and washes. <laughs> um, so yeah, a lot of it is just, what did I just do a lot of? I want to do something the opposite of that. Yeah. And then still end up using the same paints to achieve different results. Yeah. Yeah, no, what's a good uh, accent color for this? Oh, Screamer Pink would work. Grab that. Yeah. Yeah, why not? Yeah. I love Screamer Pink. Yeah. It's amazing. <laughs> 
seriously, there's like a, a few colors. I just the the Incubi Darkness, Cavalite Green, Cerebrite Green, and Screamer Pink. I just somehow they find my way the way and like that's everything <laughs> I think. This is the way. If they ain't broke. <laughs> yeah. That is yep. Um, so you obviously do a lot of reading, judging by your bookcase behind you, um, and you talked about the the law uh, being really important to you. So from an Age of Sigmar point of view, then what's your kind of favourite Black Library novel that you've read, uh, and, and you know what was why was it your favourite? Um, my absolute favourite, probably. Uh, I used to be able to say this definitively, but now there's a couple that I really like. But uh, Plague Garden by Josh yeah. Reynolds. Yeah, yeah. That's and the awesome. follow-up Black Pyramid. That series is really good. Oh, I've not. I've I've listened um, to Plague Garden. I've not listened to Black Pyramid though. Have you listened to the or read the um, the Mortark of Night ones from like the Realmgate Wars series? No, I I had the the audio drama which was like Prisoner of the Black Black Sun and those kind of things where they come out yeah. around the Realm Gate Wars. So I've heard. Yeah, yeah, to those. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. I've done those where you know they're they're really good because they're kind of quite short and audio dramatized, but they're forty minutes long kind of thing. You know, so they're quite cool. But I've got a lot. I I sort of have a lot of Audible credits, um, and I've been. I've picked up a couple of the horror books, but I've not listened to them yet. But I was just curious, like which ones really leaked out at you as like, oh, this is awesome, and you know, you should definitely do this one. Give us some book recommendations. <laughs> this is a good I've got the horror books. That's Dark the one Harvest. I've got queued up. Yeah, that's what it's I really good. So Gary Hennessy recommended that, so I've got that ready to go. It's it's uh, primed. Ready to go. I, I am. I am trying oh, to decide between re- listening to June or uh, listening to that. So, all right, cool. Hamilcar, is that good? Yeah, it's. Um, did you ever read any forty k stuff at all? Yeah, I've read a lot of the Horus yeah, Heresy the and stuff like that, and um, I've read. Did you ever read the? Um, you gone. The, the Cyphus Kane novels. It was like kind of like the tongue-in-cheek satire yeah. 40k books. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I know, I know what you mean, yeah. Is that kind of the same This thing? is like is that. It? Right, okay, cool. Yeah, so it's all told in the first person by Hamilcar, and he thinks he's the most amazing Stormcast that's ever lived. <laughs> and so it's all just him, like, telling his own story, but just being, like, super boastful, and you don't... You never know exactly how much of it is really real because it's just him exaggerating everything um, <laughs> is he an astral templar by any chance <laughs> yes he is yeah what a shock yeah. so he's like he's like i'm the best oh here we go i can just recommend red feast oh, okay cool like our thorpe this one is uh yeah so this one is about the rise of corgus cole oh cool from yeah. the so it's set in the age of myth, and it kind of reads more like a historical novel than a fantasy novel. Oh, that's interesting. I mean, it's historical with fantasy elements. Yeah, yeah. As you get further into it, it gets more fantasy, but it's... Um, oh. Wow. <laughs> Bloom's you... Fight is really good. All right, cool. Um, it's really creepy. Uh, oh, okay. <laughs> and, uh... I mean, it's, it's like, uh... You know, the, 
whole first half of the book is just kind of like the build up to where everything just goes completely wrong. And they really <laughs> well, it is away. about the green spike gets right, so it's bound to all go wrong at some point. <laughs> we should yeah. be writing these down. We should be getting uh, the, the top five the recommendations. Um, you know, my favorite one though is probably the Callus and Toll series. So this is uh, the first one on City of Secrets. Oh, okay. Uh, I've, I've heard about this. That. Is the follow-up to that? Yeah. So Inside City of Secrets is just like it's really tiny. Yeah. Comparatively. Oh right. Okay. Yeah. I've yeah, this is, um, is really good. So, it's just helping me spend the even credits. So you know, it's, uh... <laughs> yeah. City of Secrets is kind of just like the prologue to this book. I describe this as like, uh, like a, a really fun adventure action movie, like uh, the Mummy, or like Pirates right. of the Caribbean, yeah, or yeah. like okay, just. Like a it's just like really engaging and doesn't take itself too seriously, but takes itself seriously enough that you're invested in it. And, yeah, uh, it's really good and it's a series. So, well, that's cool. Um, so, in terms of like, if we talk about law then, and we talk about death then, let's go. Let's let's delve in. Right, Mortarks. Who's your favorite Mortark? <laughs> a lender. Why isn't it Arkan? That's the question. Arkan was—he's a close second. He was. Oh, okay. It was, he fair. was my favorite before Linder. Yeah. I'm um, I really like Arkan though, especially yeah. from like the lore perspective and like his whole thing with Neferata. Yeah, is uh, very interesting. Did you ever read any of the old um, lot of the Nagash origin books from the old world? Where Arkan's like this mm-hmm. messed up like drug addict um, dude that like he's just like yeah, a gambler. Yeah, it's amazing. He's that's he's, why I think he's he's just amazing because he's literally like this uh, down and out <laughs> addict that that um, Nagash basically tricks. <laughs> I'm like that's great. <laughs> so um, no, he's he's fantastic, and I think um, I think in AOS one of the things I've been quite happy with is how. The, the kind of the character of the old world deaths kind of been maintained and 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 sort of used um and i think it's it's like that i think they're a really interesting faction in age of sigma because they kind of feel like you've got that amnosity between them they're all vying for position and they kind of feel inevitable which i kind of like especially with the lcr bone reapers i think they're um it's a really cool story arc that they've come up with those guys yeah I think it's funny that you said that you like that it continues the old world feel because there's definitely parts of it I feel like that are continued that I like but one of the things that so you know, I played Tomb Kings in fantasy and didn't really ever like vampire counts yes, and it's because I didn't like the whole like Count Dracula like Ivana Sakula and like it just seemed really kind of cheesy like one uh, um, uh. yeah <laughs> <laughs> so I was just I was really glad that it became less about like vampires with zombie thralls and became more about Nagash and the death lords and like the necromancers and you had yeah. uh, instead of it just being like 
you know, skeletons raised up by some necromancer. You had uh, entire death rattle kingdoms ruled yeah. over by a white king, and like it, it was just, it felt so much more uh, flushed out. Like every oh, yeah, part of sure. it, it wasn't just one person, except for Nagash, controlling all of them. Yeah. I like, guess it's nice that it got away from that kind of ham horror type thing and um, kind of yeah. getting on their own their own life. I mean, I particularly think the Flesh Eater Court um, sort of background is kind of inspired, really, for for what they are. And, yeah. Uh, and I think Bretonian players should just play Flesh Eaters because they're basically the same thing, right? So... <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm sure they love hearing that. Yeah. Well, I, I'm, a, I'm a Tomb King player, so I'm just glad that the Bone Reapers are finally here. But it's, uh, yeah, I've been um, I've been super excited about Chaos recently. Um, I'm getting really kind of back into the the classic kind of Conan, where you've got all the the sort of the warriors and, and knights uh, going in and raiding and stuff like that. And I'm thinking I'm gonna I'm gonna do my Slaves of Darkness army in that kind of reimagining of my original Warriors of Chaos army because Chaos and Death have always been the two. Um, the two factions that have appealed to me. I, m- I remember the first uh, battle tome I got was the Undead book in fourth, which was the black covered, and it had like mummies and whites and barrow kings and vampires, and, and there was no vampire count book. There's no tomb king book. It was just undead, and and that was that was awesome. Mm-hmm. Had a really cool picture on the front of um, of a necromancer. So which I think was meant to, and there was a really good Mark Gibbons piece of art of Nagash it's a shame the model looked like a kind of big headed clown but it was uh, the picture was awesome but you know it wasn't quite what, what you got from the <laughs> from the model point of view um, so for me the end times was particularly exciting did you I mean obviously you said you've yeah. been playing for a long time how did you feel when the old world mm-hmm. blew up <laughs> what of a better word or were you more um, a 40k player at that point I was more of a fantasy player at that point but I had been more of a 40k player previously so I guess I don't have you know I definitely didn't have as much of a attachment to the old world or even any extensive knowledge of it that people who played fantasy majority of the time did um, you know so I got in to 40k third edition yeah. Um, and I actually, because I still have like my first or one or two white dwarfs, the first white dwarf I have on the back of it, the co- uh, back cover with the preview for next month is the launch of sixth edition of fantasy. So like that's, right. I got in, I think I got that starter set when it came out. So I've always had fantasy armies and I played fantasy. I dabbled in it, but I definitely played 40k more. And when I started getting into fantasy more is when um, Tomb Kings came out for 8th edition. Yeah. And I decided, because I always liked Tomb Kings. I really loved them in 6th edition. But I never played them. I never collected them. And then uh, I really liked what I was seeing for 8th edition. They were the second book, I think, right? Yeah. Fairly um, early on. They were around April, May of... I remember because I was at South Coast and it got me reinvigorated for for Warhammer because I think the Orcs come out right at the end of the year then it was almost like a five month wait for the next tome and it was Tomb Kings yeah I was just I just remember being so excited when I saw the Tomb King stuff 
Yeah, the, the the snakes and the sphinxes and all that when you first saw that was just amazing. Um, I do actually, I've still got all my Tomb King models. I, I do, I did rebase them for the compendium, but you obviously we probably should talk about your your battle tome Tomb Kings you did as well because you obviously tried to wave the flag for them and and <laughs> keep them alive or unalive i should say um so what did what inspired you to do that then where did that come from is it just it was just a fact that you just wanted to reimagine them in age of sigmar and and and, and keep them around or what was the what was the drive behind that um it just kind of evolved from when Age of Sigmar first came out, I was just messing around with like making. So I had Tomb Kings. They were my fan. That was the army I was building pre Age of Sigmar. So it's the army I went into Age of Sigmar having the most of. Um, and I was just kind of like creating random things, like random. Uh, like I made a scenario, I made some other random rules. Um, I like doing like layouts and compositions and stuff. So actually, yeah. a lot of my stuff that I've done that's like I created these rules for something or I wrote this for that or did these pictures, it was more lots of times I did them in service of having something to put in the layout and uh, <laughs> you know, the design rather than making that's the design cool. to host the the rules or whatever. Yeah, yeah. Um, to fill a space on the page. That but <laughs> yeah, yeah, pretty much. Um, but so that's what it started as I started taking like pictures of my models. I wanted to do the war scrolls in the style that they were doing at that time where it had like the big picture at the top and then the rules underneath for each unit. Yeah. Um, and I thought it'd be cool if I did ones that are personalized to my army. So I had pictures of my models on it. So I'd already get started kind of going on that process. And then when uh, the death grand alliance book came out and i saw that you know some things were going away i just decided like well i've already kind of made half this stuff um why not try and make something yeah and i it was also more like at that point i knew that um you know uh i wasn't gonna have competition from games workshop um yeah <laughs> uh, them coming out with anything contradict so if i like wrote lore for something about Tomb Kings and Age of Sigmar, it wasn't going to ever contradict anything official from Games Workshop, because they were gone. So it kind of gave me free reign to do something and know that it was going to have um, staying power over a longer period than like a month. Um, so that's kind of where it started from. And then, you know, I did uh, I think... I actually started with Adepticon that year. I wanted to make a fancy um, army list to hand out, basically. I made a little booklet, like a yeah. book-sized booklet, but it was like 20 pages. And uh, with some lore for my army and pictures of my army and my army list. And then it was after I made that book that I said, well, like, yeah, I've already made, I've already written half the lore. I've already figured out how to format a book yeah. and make it look like their books. So why not just try and do my whole own battle film for them? Yeah. Um, and then that took a year to do that after that. Well, that's super cool. I mean, I know a lot of people still use it and talk about it. And uh, I think it's really cool that you did that. I, I think 
for me, like I, I was kind of a little bit disheartened that they weren't really around. Um, and and I know that like when the when we were playing when in the Wild West when there were no points and there was all the random comp and stuff and the the Necropolis Knights and you had the 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 crazy perpetual exploding attack lists and stuff like that and uh, it was like I always had this moment I was like finally they've arrived after like two editions of two two battle tomes over. Uh, three different editions of Warhammer because <laughs> you didn't get one in seventh, and then the one they got in eighth, and you're like, and they 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 finally yeah. come good, and then Games Watch went, nah, we're not doing them anymore. And you're like, what? That's <laughs> like, finally, come on. But um, I think the um, Bone Reapers have really um, they've kind of filled that void for me. I know they're not really the same, but they feel kind of similar. Um, and uh, in my head, like Catacross is kind of like Cetra because I kind of. I kind of remember reading at Definitely, the end times yeah. there was that whole like thing about Setra and you're like, is Setra coming back? Is he really dead? It was kind of like, it was kind of hinted that he might still be around. And I was like, oh, just, uh-huh. I absolutely love Setra. And um, th- those novels that, that go through Nagash and Setra and, and the, the sort of the rise of Nakara and all of that are just so good. I mean, for me, that was the the background that really grabbed me and what I loved about the those novels in particular was each city obviously it's not a they're not tomb kings at that point yeah. they're like living and it had like the living city what they were what they were about like what was you know Numis about and what was and it was like so interesting because it was reading almost like a historical like almost like you know ancient mm-hmm. Greece or, or Rome kind of like interplay and uh with a fantasy element and uh the sort of the betrayal of the characters and nefrata and 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 like you know and and sort of what how lamia played its part and for me it just uh it was such an interesting area of the old world that really grabbed me um so it was kind of i find i felt like vader sigmar i was waiting and waiting and waiting until a faction grabbed me and i was kind of like doing stuff to game and i was kind of but i wasn't really invested because i found that like um the bloodbound that i started with i was like well i'm not really caring too much about their background because they kind of feel like age of sigma orcs they're just like well we're corn and we ravage the land and that's all they do and i was a bit like mm, a bit bit dull you know it's not really there's not really much going on and i never really collect good guys so i was like no nah, i'm not stormcast and stuff so I'm really, I'm really pleased how, like during the Soul Wars, the the, the death has really come into their own as a faction and been expanded. So, would you say your favourite death army is Nighthaunt? Is that is that a fair assumption? Yeah, which actually surprises me. Um, yeah, it was Tomb Kings. I mean, it still is Tomb Kings probably, but I'm just kind of not leaving them. But I want to do something that's current. So, Nighthaunt is current. Yeah. You know, it will have new models. It will have yeah. new lore in it. Um, and yeah, I really, yeah, I found that my favorite armies are ones with really simple color schemes because I can do them quickly. Yeah. So I really like Solid. Night Hunt because of that, because you can do a really quick, effective striking color scheme with them. Um, and the models are just amazing. How uh, do you... The Blade Geist and the Winder. And yeah, I love, love the Blade Geist. It's so good. I mean, the Black Coach is amazing, but I've never got around to painting mine yet. I mean, how, how do you find them from a gaming point of view? Is that a big... Is that part of your motivation, or would you just kind of go, well, I don't really mind too much how they play. I'm, I just, it's more about the models and the background. Um, well, I really, 
like how they play. Like I like the uh, you know the their mechanic of like the um, getting to fight in the charge phase is the main thing I think is really cool with them. <laughs> um, but it's always more when I approach an army. Generally, it'll be uh, I'm picking an army for if I like the look or the painting or the the lore, and then I'll think about how to win or do well with it afterward. Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah. And then kind of, if I need to add something in, I'll do it then. Um, but it's always more about the the look and feel of the, the army than what is the best thing I could be taking. Yeah, because we had this conversation with like uh, Richie and James that, that are players that in the UK are fairly competitive, I would say, and saying to them that like I have this this choice where you're like i really like this faction but i i also like competitive gaming so for me like to Mm -hmm. i don't need to take the best thing but i'm like i want to take an army that's um good enough that i don't feel like i'm just i'm just getting trampled all day you know i don't want to be the doormat of the tournament you know i don't want to bring a knife to a gunfight but at the same time i don't need the bfg 9000 you know i'm all right to take like just just decent decent army so i think um for me i always struggle with that i think these are cool but then i'm like but i know that i'm gonna get frustrated with them so i don't really want to play them and i think there's i mean because my hobby is mostly tournament gaming i don't really play outside of events so i kind of i think it's an interesting it's an interesting choice isn't it i think it 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 does pose a little bit of a question but you you do quite a lot of tournaments so is your when you go to events are you sort of competing for painting is that something you go into events wanting to win you're kind of thinking because i know um good friend of mine wayne uh, that Wayne Kemp, he's always about the painting more than the gaming, and whereas like me and Dan were very much a bit of both, uh, mostly gaming and painting, uh, back in old the old old world. Um, and I think that is it. So you go into an event and thinking I really care about the painting and I want to be recognised for my painting, and the gaming's kind of an excuse to to show my models off and have a bit of fun. Um, or are you, are you? Do you find that you want to do well on the gaming side of things as well? I mean, what's your approach when you go to events? Yeah, it's both really. Uh, it really, events are one of the main things for me is an excuse to get a project done um, and show them off. You know, <laughs> yeah. deadlines are what are the only reason I have armies finished. Usually, is because of a deadline, um, but. At the same time, I'm never looking. I've, I've never gone to an event looking to win the event or even podium. But usually, uh, my goal is to finish in the top twenty five percent. That's kind of like what I aim for. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't always, but that's my goal. That's what I aim for. Is to, you know, I, I'm not. I'm not going to take something that is broken just to win even if i don't like the army yeah but i'm gonna try and take whatever my army is and make it as good as it can be with what i have or by adding in a few things here or there um to make it better but yeah just that you know and, and i usually somehow i always a lot of events lately i find i will get to like round five and i'm on like table five and then i lose and i end up <laughs> in like uh you know spot 
55. Yeah, so, yeah, yeah. I get all the way up there, and then I just get crushed. And pretty just... solid. <laughs> They're not an easy army. Yeah, it was... I'm trying to think. It was actually the last Adepticon I was playing. I think I was playing Fear Night Hunt. Yeah, I got to table, maybe not five, but it was like seven. And actually, I played against Jake from my club. Yeah. <laughs> uh, with uh, running Nagash and uh, a bunch of dogs and reapers. Yeah. Yeah, so and, yeah, I just need you on me, yeah. Couldn't kill Nagash. <laughs> yeah. No, he's a tough he's a tough one. Um Oh that's super yeah. interesting. Um So with you your... say in the same token I went oh, to an event. Yeah. Uh, I went to an event where I took um my Nurgle army, and it was just, uh, I was just collecting pure demons, so I took a Taliban army, and it was pure demons, and I went to this event, and I lost four out of five games. <laughs> and <laughs> it wasn't, I think, like, two of the games I lost just weren't even close. It was just, like, it was just a complete blowout, um, and there was only one of them that was actually just, like, down to the last turn, but it was just, uh, after that event, I did decide that I needed to add some mortal stuff into it. I was trying to avoid doing any mortal Nurgle. I just wanted to do pure demons. Yeah. But it's, like, it's, it wasn't even fun. I was just getting crushed. No. No, it's not ideal. Um, I think, um, for me, I really like the Rotbringers. Um, so I'm a big fan of, like, mm -hmm. the... You know the Glockkin with the three brothers, and and I really like the the sort of Morbidix twice born and and blow up Rotspawn and those guys. And I think um, you, I I really wanted to do an army based around those guys, but they've just never really been good enough. And I'm like, I just really want the Rotbringers to be like decent that I don't even just have to spam Blight Kings, but I can actually like take a varied mortal army. Um, I'm sure one day mm. it will come, but I they are my they're one of those armies that I just aesthetically I just love the look of them. Like I love those new Pascoy or Blight Lords. I think those models are absolutely fantastic. Um but I've just not had the the kind of the heart to, to put paint to mini to fill those hours to turn up to events and uh, feel like I'm you know, trying to push it uphill, you know, that's the that's the, the bit that's difficult. But um I think I think one of the things that, that I'd be keen to understand is like if there was like if you're someone like trying to up their painting and improve, what would be your advice? I mean other than reading your blog and following your guides, but what would be your advice <laughs> to somebody who wanted to improve their painting? If you if you could go back in time and get a, a young Tyler and say, Hey, if you do this you'll be better you would get better quicker what would you what would you say to yourself or someone who wants to up their painting um you know it's a good question i don't really know there's not kind of really not in most cases kind of like i don't want to call it a shortcut but kind of like a, a cheat no. or like a thing that like uh, this is it and now you've unlocked it now yeah well i know that it, but you know, know like it's really more just like this practice yeah practice. um yeah, practice, 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 practice. Um, you know, just always try new things, try new techniques. Um, really read or watch uh, as many different tutorials and stuff that you, as you can, and just like 
you don't need to paint the exact same model. We'll just pull bits and pieces from these different things. And this, you know, you don't even have to be the same color, but like they did this blend on this way, take that same knowledge and use it for something completely different model, different colors, but same idea. Um, you know, I look at like people starting off painting now and there's all these YouTube videos and everything and all these tutorials out there. Yeah. And I was thinking back to like when I started, it was, uh, the staff member at the local GW yeah. and the white dwarf magazines. Yeah, and it. that was like my exposure to, yeah, wearing the paint. <laughs> and you didn't even have the, the range of products that are available now. And, you know, like all these like no, mediums, no, no base paints, no foundation All these painting yeah. system, all these textured technical paints, these just, it was like, okay, you've got a range of colors and you've got some inks and that's it. And, you know, goblin green bases for the win. You know, sunburst yellow dry brush. Uh, everything is red. Even spear halves, red. Don't use some brown. They paint. Red. Yeah, red. red. Um, and, uh, but it was, uh, you know, and I, I find it funny when you look back at those old, really old school miniatures and you look at the paint jobs of the heavy metal team and you look at it going, it's come so far you know, from where it was. Um, and I think it's quite it's quite interesting that, I mean, I know that everyone wants to know what the hack is and what the, the cheat is and what the quick win is. But I think that it's like you say, it is practice. But at the same time, like, I found that for me, like, it's all about trying to if up your game efficiently. And I think the biggest, the biggest thing is taking the risk and experimenting and not staying in your comfort zone. Because I think... As soon as you're sat, rinse, repeat, and batch painting the same recipes for each air on every model, you're missing the opportunity to improve because all you're doing is replicating the same thing you're comfortable with. And I, I think for me, like the that is the biggest learning point is don't be as scared to experiment and to fail and to have a go and, and push yourself and learn a new thing because everyone can always learn. Like, one of the things that made me like super happy is I went to a David Soper class and this is, this is really stupid, right? This is, this is, this is like school level stupidity and he's got all this amazing stuff and he's like, he's, I'm like, I'm pretty blown away with what we're doing and we're painting this abyssal warlord and I've got my, my little well palette like this. And I'm like, what's really good about these is you can get a paint pot, and put it like that and it seals it in and it won't dry out and he was like oh I'll use that in future and I was like wow I've caught him something <laughs> so I felt like I was giving back <laughs> it was really stupid but at the same time um, I think it's it's important to know that you can always learn right you can always improve but you'll never get mm -hmm. to the point where you, you, you're not going to get better as long as you keep trying and pushing yeah, absolutely. I'd agree with that 100%. Uh, I guess thinking on, uh, I guess, like I said earlier, one piece of advice I would give is to, uh, well, I two pieces of advice. One thing I say a lot is um, uh, I took guitar lessons for like a hot minute in college uh, for like two months before I quit. But one thing that I remember the instructor telling me is he was, uh, he played some song, it was some song by the police, he was yeah. teaching. And he had like the tabs because I was going by tabs. I couldn't read, you know, shit music. 
And yeah. so you had the tabs out for the way that the police played the song on the record. And but then he's like, but here is a much simpler way to do it. And he played it and it sounded exactly the same. And, you, you know, you didn't have to move your hand nearly as much. You didn't have to yeah. do as many complex chords. But then he said, like, the thing is, is you need to learn how to play it the proper way first. And then you can learn the cheat because then yeah. you understand why the cheat works, which is something I say a lot, actually, with painting advice, is that there's tons of cheats out there. Like, oh, you can do this and, you know, it'll save 10 minutes. But you understand why it works and why you're saving 10 minutes because otherwise it doesn't apply to anything in the future. Like, you can't take that knowledge and use it and expand it. But if you know, if you understand why what you did saved you time, then you can take that same thing, go to a different color, and come up with your own sheet on your own because you understand the, the base concepts of it. Um, so I always say, you know, learn stuff the hard way and then learn stuff the easy way and use the easy way, but at least you know how to do it the hard way and you understand why it works. Um, there a uh, much simpler piece of advice is uh, don't do all over washes. You don't have to. Just paint it into the crevices. Save some time. <laughs> <laughs> That's a good one. I'm a, a complete opposite to that. I'm I'm a I'm a drown drown it in wash everywhere and then sort it out at the end. <laughs> I um I think you know I, I get what you're saying. I, I I see what you're saying there with the the washes is that just because it's a wash doesn't mean you can't be careful or considered with it. So yeah, for sure. Particularly mm -hmm. if you do the the classic kind of repaint the mid tone to tidy it up. I mean, generally when I'm using washes, they're almost like all over glazes at the end or they're very early on, and I'm I'm not so bothered about tidying it up because it the highlight the blend highlights will do that naturally because I kind of blend. I do a lot of blending, so I tend to blend up through rather than um, rather than repaint the base layer. But I think um, base coating for me, I think, is the is a key part of getting an effective model and uh, starting at the mid tone rather than at the darkest, and then working all the way up to the lightest. Is start at the mid, mm -hmm. shade down, highlight up, um, and then you'll get a much nicer yep. finish. Um, which is kind of the heavy metal way of doing it from from those sort of seminars. You Vovo. Sorry, Byron. Yeah, it's the new the new heavy metal, isn't it? Used yeah. to be. I've got the old heavy metal masterclass here. Hey, from go from black all the way up. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so, uh, but it's interesting how techniques have moved along. Um, so is there anything you want to plug other than your blog or stuff like that or talk about before we wrap up or are you you're sort of happy to to call it there that really is you know mingle managers I'm on Instagram Twitter my website <laughs> Facebook follow me <laughs> um, just follow you like the Pied Piper you know just like uh, come follow me <laughs> like the uh, the the old uh, the, uh, the soppy bowl Piper he's like come with me to the yeah <laughs> um, yeah but I'd say um, thanks very um, much for coming on uh, and telling us about your blog and your hobby and stuff and your approach to painting so I super appreciate you spending your time I know it's uh, it's quiet <laughs> time of night uh but we'll be putting this video up on youtube and linking it and stuff so um yeah hopefully that'll drive we'll get everything traffic to your, your uh, various socials and stuff 
yeah so we'll 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 direct all the social medias that we can uh but i'm sure you've got a fairly substantial following (laughs) already so uh but i just say thanks very much for spending the time coming on and talking to us tyler it's good to see you again even though it's uh, it's a strange time at the moment but it's good to uh to see you again even if you've got now got your uh your college guitar playing hair growing in (laughs) (laughs) yeah when i saw um oscar earlier he had like full-on like like megadeth metal hair Tarzan. yeah <laughs> i was like yeah. where did that come from <laughs> i'm thinking that's awesome i caught a minute of that i'm jealous i don't have some cool mood lighting in my interview he had like the cool <laughs> red light off yeah to the it, side. Was, it was awesome right? yeah so super pro but um, yeah, well, thanks for coming on and okay. thanks everyone for watching and uh, we'll wrap this up and just go back to normal hangout, but I'll probably be going to bed very shortly. So <laughs> um, thanks. Yeah, no, I appreciate it, dude. We've got lots of stuff coming up yeah, tomorrow. Thanks for having me on. Yeah, no worries. It's been good. It's been a pleasure. So um, yeah. yeah. Cheers, buddy. Well, we'll, we'll speak to you all, all tomorrow when we're a bit more awake and we're painting along our model. So uh, thanks very much. Great, Adam. Appreciate it. Cheers. To make sure you don't miss out on any more Hammer to Your Face, subscribe to us on iTunes, add our RSS feed to your reader, and follow us on Twitter at facehammer underscore. We hope you enjoyed the show. If you'd like to give us some feedback, we'd love to hear from you. Thanks for listening. <laughs>